Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Orlando. I'm Paul Shaughnessy. Joined on the line by Cody Safdick. This episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. 15 fights, Cody. And the exciting thing is, and like maybe, you know, we, we get so many fight cards these days that like sometimes we complain about the quality. When the UFC goes on the road, they put together a good card because, like, they have to sell tickets, you know? They, they have to try to make a certain market happy. It's just like, this is a very, very solid fight night card. This isn't too much to ask, is it? Like, this is, this is a good offering from the UFC. How it'll be from a betting perspective, I mean, we'll find out on Saturday night. But, like, there's a lot of fights that I'm very interested in top to bottom here. Um, it's well, nice that's because have... there's a lot of that's because there's a lot of fights on the card, Paul. When you put 15 fights on, it's like yeah. even anybody's going to realize oh, there's a couple of good spots here and there. So I agree with you. There's so many good spots because there's 15 fights. And to me, the UFC is basically like, man, what day is it? Oh shit, we're running out of time this calendar year. We owe people fight contracts, so let's get out there and just try to mash everything together. So you don't have to force things this week, but you can definitely find these these little spots here and there. And I think there's a few spots where it's like we're getting close to the end. You know, we have a couple like aging veterans on two fight losing streaks, and they're on this card. Like I feel like maybe walking papers are going to be handed out. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but like. There's a few spots here that I'm like, I see what you're probably up to, um, but we'll get into that. Let's start with, uh, you know, the recently retired Kevin Holland. He takes on Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Holland is a minus 170 favorite. Uh, Steve Wonderboy Thompson could be half for plus 145. I mean, Holland, I mean, that was the most egregious retirement of all time. He got absolutely banged up. By Hamza Chamayev on a day's notice at 180 pounds. Everyone kind of knew. It's just like, all right, this is a, you know, it was a whatever happened that weekend. It was a bad spot for Holland. And he held himself okay, I suppose. Like, he was able to scramble around for like two or three minutes on the ground with Hamza. Obviously got finished. There's levels to this game. Interesting matchup against Steve Wonderboy Thompson. Is Thompson over the hill? If this is just two guys striking, I'm not going to lie, I'm kind of attracted to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Is he a little bit slower these days? Yes. Um, lots of five-round experience. And is Holland really going to be shooting takedowns on him? And if, if, if he does that, is it going to be effective? I don't know about that. I'll take a dog shot, potentially. The, the line keeps moving towards Holland, so like, I feel like there's no harm in waiting this one out, to be perfectly honest. But I'm more drawn to the Stephen Wonder by Thompson side here. Just on, you know, two strikers, maybe a little bit low volume on both sides. And I could see Thompson edging this one out. Like, I kind of think of it more as like a 50-50 type of spot. And they're giving me plus 145. So that's where I'm immediately drawn right now. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and agree. The line's moving towards Holland and all he's been 
saying all week is more retirement talk. So, like, I'm sure it's all mind games and mental warfare, but uh, nothing to me screams Kevin Holland wants this really bad. I know it's a matchup that he's been talking about for a long time, and I'm sure he's motivated to go out there and get a victory. But, yeah, nothing screams to me that this is going to be a walk in the park for Kevin Holland. Uh, when you look at Styles, because, again, to me, Styles make fights. That's the biggest thing. You can be on a long losing streak. If they give you the proper opponent, you can go out there and make things happen. And, and for Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, we know how effective his karate game is, his long distance rangy kickboxing game is but there's two faults to him fault number one is takedown defense takedown defense can't hold up thing number two is that he seems to be way better suited for these five round fights not three round fights in a three round fight you can feasibly take him down in the first two rounds hold on and as he starts to get that rhythm going he just runs out of time you kind of saw that in the gilbert burns fight he had spots he had moments he simply ran out of time in a three round fight so it's interesting that the ufc is giving him a five round title fight or not title fight sorry a five round main event fight coming off two back-to-back -back losses. But five rounds is actually going to help him out a lot. So how does his last two fights go down? Well, against Bilal Muhammad, suffocated the entire time. Seven takedowns given up. Bilal gave him no space, hugged onto him. And of course, because it's three rounds, nothing he can do. I'm sure Bilal was going to keep doing it for two more if, it, if there was two more, but uh, just never got a chance to get going. And then again, Gilbert's, uh, Gilbert Burns, another suffocating grappler with a good takedown game, just again, never got going. Kevin Holland shows a 43% takedown accuracy. Eh, he scored one takedown in the last six fights against Derek Brunson, a little brief one that he picked up there. Two against Charlie Ontiveros. Very nice, very nice. Is he going to go in there with the game plan of suffocating him up against the cage and taking him down repeatedly? I don't think so. And if he did, over five rounds... That's not Kevin Holland, man. Kevin Holland's a talker. He's big mouth. He's going to throw some shots from the outside. He's going to talk some big game. And he's been suffocated and smothered so many times, lying on his back, talking shit to the opponent. Like, come on, man. Let me out. Let's fight. Like, come on, man. The fans don't want to see this. Is he now going to be that guy? Is he now going to go there with the approach of, I'm going to hold on to him for five rounds? No, he's an entertainer. And being an entertainer, He's likely going to try to fight him. This is not the apex. It's not a small cage. It's in Orlando, Florida. They're going to have lots of space to work with. And I think that favors Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. You mentioned Wonderboy. He said, you know, two low output strikers. Low low output striker. No, not Stephen Thompson. Yes, in the last two fights because he's been suffocated on the mat. But prior to that, I mean, his numbers are outrageous. He puts up 171 against Jeff Neal. He puts up 138 against Vincente Luque. Um. He, he's someone that, you know, can definitely just play that pitter-patter game and, you know, small little leg kicks, small little tap-tap stuff, but then also he'll blitz in with combinations. He racks up significant strikes, and he frustrates a lot of guys. Going back to that Jeff Neal fight, Jeff Neal's heavy, very heavy-handed, but few, through a couple rounds, he's frustrated. He can't find the target. Now all of a sudden, he's in his own head like, man, I can't find him. I'm losing rounds. He's discouraged. He goes back to his corner. They're trying to amp him up to get at Wonderboy. He just can't. He can't figure out the problem. Holland's the same way. He's in his own head. He's going to be talking to Wonderboy. Hey, man, meet me in the center. Let's fight. But when he... He's not reaching the target when he's not hitting Wonderboy and he keeps reaching for air. That's going to frustrate him. That's going to cause him to kind of lose focus. And uh, one thing about Wonderboy, 20 years old or 40 years old, the dude's like the most focused guy in there, man. At no point does he like lose concentration. Can Defensively, can he grapple? Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. But he's always like in it. You know, he's always got his, his eye on the prize. He's always trying to do the best that he can. And even though he's a little bit older, I just feel like uh, his style is one that could go out there and beat Holland. So again, this one's going to come back to the numbers for me. He's a plus money underdog. He's got a viable chance of winning. Five rounds favors him. The output favors him. The striking favors him. And Kevin Holland's path to victory is to fight in a way that he never fights. So yeah, plus money, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. I could be talked into that. And on prize picks, I think the uh, under 20 or less than 20 minutes doesn't seem so bad because I see the under 
four and a half rounds is juiced to minus 175. People are fancying themselves a finish. And yeah, I could see, you know, Holland really having to force the issue because every single time he enters the pocket, he's going to be eating shots and then Wonderboy is going to be evading off on angles. So it's like it's going to put him in compromising positions. He's either going to, you know, clips Thompson's chin or 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 take it himself. Um so yeah, I don't mind that on prize picks. But yeah, Stephen Wonderboy Tom- We'll see where this number climbs to because yeah, I'm seeing anywhere uh from plus 125 to plus 145 across the market right now and maybe he's a little bit over the hill, but not going to lie, man. Plus 145 in this spot against a guy who wanted was looking for the door, Cody. He wanted to or or maybe it's just mind games, but I don't know. I, I, there's a long history in this game. It was like when people are talking about it, they're thinking about it, and they don't have a good performance next time out. It looked like you had something to add to it. The only thing I was going to add to it is if you're going to wait later on the week, which I don't disagree with, I'm thinking hit it before weigh-ins. Only because Kevin Holland might be better suited for 170, but let's be real here. He's a big guy. He's fought most of his career at 185. His last fight was supposed to be against Daniel Rodriguez at 180 because he was not going to make that weight. Then he takes the Chimaya fight and decides, you know what? I'll bump up. We can do that at a catch weight if you want. Instead, takes that fight. So, yes, again, I know he can make 170, and I think his best days are probably suited at 170, but this isn't entirely a full fight camp kind of thing. He had retired. They're trying to sign a new contract, and he wants more money, and then they throw this matchup together. Wonderboy's been training because they told him, we have a fight for you. Prepare yourself. You'll have a fight before year's end because they owe him a fight. Holland's been in negotiation. So if he is thinking about retirement, if he was thinking about retirement all this stuff is not like he's skipping meals and getting ready for this big weight cut so it's possible that if he either misses weight or comes in and doesn't look good you're going to miss the the line but because it's trending towards him right now you can sit on it right now weigh-ins will be interesting for this one though and the only other thing i will say is that and i said it off of the top is that you know walking paper potential if steven wonderboy thompson loses this fight even though it's three decent losses, wouldn't be surprised to see them like show him the door because he's probably getting quite—he's getting paid quite a bit based on you know his history with within the organization, and um, yeah, it's kind of one of those you know how it is these days. They're looking for cheaper labor. They're looking for younger kids to fill the void of these older guys. It's just the nature of the beast in the year 2022. Moving on down, we've got uh, Rafael dos Anjos taking on Brian Bam Bam Barbarina. Dosanjo is a minus 550 favorite. Barbarina can be half a plus 420. Honestly, I don't see very many paths to victory for Barbarina here. It's, that's not exactly a shocker based on the fact that it's a minus 550 versus a plus 420. But, like, what edge does he have? Maybe, maybe he could, like, pull a rabbit out of his hat and win, like, a volume-based decision. Possibly. But, like... Dos Angeles has him covered literally everywhere here, doesn't he? Like, it seems very, very straightforward to me. Interested in uh, RDA, ITD, what would that price be? It's plus money. I know Bam Bam has a history of being very, very durable. but And I know it's only three rounds. Don't get me wrong on that front. But, I mean, I feel like this is a – it should be pretty dominant. Uh, on the side of RDA, who is still fighting some of the best fights of his career currently. And uh, Bam Bam gets hit a ton. 
Um, rarely ever finished, but he has been finished a few times. This could be one of the spots. So definitely interested in RDA inside the distance at uh, plus 175. What about you? Yeah, and him and Han over the prop because Rafael Losano's top ticket material, I agree with you in your assessment of it. I think he wins this pretty handedly. Uh, the main thing is if you want to try to get a little greedy with it and get a better price, is he going to finish Brian Barberena? Brian Barberena's really one thing is that he's got some durability. Of course, though, you know, that durability is drawn into question as he's had injuries. He's gotten a little bit older. He's had a few setbacks. It's possible that RDA is able to take him to the ground and submit him. But again, Rafael Senos not hasn't finished anybody since Kevin Lee. That one was in the fourth round. Last time he finished somebody inside of a three-round fight would have been the Neil Magny fight. And again, now you're going back a long time ago. So Brian Barberina, good jiu-jitsu, scrappy kind of guy, gives up takedowns to basically everybody. Crazy to think that he's not going to give up takedowns, multiple ones at that, to Rafael Dos Anjos in this spot. It's can he hold on and maybe grind one out in terms of lose a decision and hold on. But yeah, like you hate to just look at the numbers, but the numbers are very telling in this one. Rafael Dos Anjos is an elite level grab. No, okay, what's the best? What What's above elite? That's what he's not, right? And if elite's the best of the best, then he's one step below that. But he tries to grapple in basically all of his fights. So what it comes down to is if you are a creme de la creme guy, a top five guy in the UFC, then you are getting multiple takedowns on him. If you are not, he is getting the takedowns on you. It is what it is. At one point, he could strike. But going back to that Eddie Alvarez fight when he lost his title, he had an iffy cut to a 55. He came in, got clipped by a shot in the pocket. And at that point, it was like, need to grapple. But look at all these fights, man. The last time against Rafael Fazeev, two takedowns, pretty impressive. Before that, Hanato Moicano, he lands five. Against Paul Felder, he lands six. Not only did he land six against Felder, it was a 25-minute fight, and it was pretty much in the clinch for 24 and a half minutes. He was on his ass, if not on top of him, the entire time. It's his game plan, and he's very effective with it, right? Uh, Michael Chiesa took him down six times. Leon Edwards took him down three times. Him and Kevin Lee combined 10 takedowns in that fight. He got Lee down four times. Lee got him down six times. Against Usman, he gave up 12. Against Colby, he gave up seven, but he got three on Colby. It's always going to be wrestling, 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 right? Win or lose is going to be a pivotal part of each of Rafael Dos Anjos's fights. And then in Brian Barberena's case, uh, yeah, back surgery, ballooned up, was very heavy, considered retirement of his own, got back in there. But, I mean, his takedown defense is sitting at a 55% overall. And, I mean, when, when we just discussed Rafael Dos Anjos, you're talking about all the best fighters in the world, the Kamaru Usmans, the Colby Covingtons, the Leon Edwards. Those are the guys he's fighting with. Those are the guys he's wrestling with. In Barberena's case, he's giving up takedowns Six or five of them to Anthony Ivy, eight of them to Jason Witt, four of them to Darian Weeks, five of them to Matt Brown. Yo, are you out of your mind? He's getting taken down multiple times, not a few times, multiple times, four or five times by guys not even in the same conversation as Rafael Dos Anjos and the guys that he's fighting. You know, you've seen how good Moicano looked the other weekend, like still a top guy. Rafael Dos Anjos, if you are not a top five, He's going to get a hold of you. He's going to rip you to the ground. If he doesn't get you to the ground, he's going to control you against the cage. And one thing about him is 15 minutes, 25 minutes, it don't matter. The guy's got an awesome gas tank. So Brian Barbrain is in, uh, he's up Shit's Creek, right? If he's going to wrestle with him, he's going to be getting taken down. 15 minutes, not enough to amount one of these crazy comebacks where he lands something. As far as the striking goes, yeah, you know, he's he's herky-jerky, he's flat-footed, he'll stand in the pocket and throw some with you. Raphael can crack. The thing is, is that he'll throw a punch combination to shoot into a takedown. He just isn't not interested in striking at range for long periods of time now. But listen, man, I mean, you can watch the tape on it in every one of Bar Brian Barberina's fights. You see takedown defense. That's the way to beat him. 
in every single one of Rafael Dos Anjos fights, he's wrestling at the highest level, getting takedowns against some of the best guys in the world should be a trend here. Unless he's completely washed, and I don't believe he is, he gets it here. And speaking of completely washed, Matt Brown and Robbie Lawler, both competitive mm -hmm. against uh, Brian Barberena. Matt Brown arguably beat him, okay? First of all, you could definitely score that fight for Matt Brown. And the Robbie Lawler fight, Robbie looked great in the first round, and then end of the hill, right? Yeah. So I think Rafael Dos Anjos has got passive victory across the board. Yeah, the takedowns should be easy for him, and on prize picks, two and a half takedowns. I mean, unless Dos Anjos takes him down once and finds a submission super, super quick, which I think is on the <laughs> sure. table, um, that two and a half should be pretty easy for him to, uh, to do it. Like, the way that RDA loses this fight is having a slug-it-out, standout war where they... It both get like 150 significant strikes. 55.5 um, significant strikes is pretty low for RDA too. Do you have a preference between those two? Two and a half takedowns or 55.5 significant strikes for Dos Anjos? Yeah, I would say the two. Yeah, I would say the over two and a half takedowns because again, in his fights, he's getting multiple ones because he will go a little bit of ground and pound. He will get uh not just hold you down he gives you the space to get back up brian's good at working his way back up and then getting taken right back down so this one screams to me in over three and a half and uh, at two and a half even three and a half i'm like i'm looking at probably four or five maybe six takedowns by rafael de Sanchez in the spot so two and a half is a given to me the thing with ground and pound is it's way more subjective right are those shots being considered significant strikes or is he maybe controlling some position, landing some small little shots, and doesn't quite get to that number? So, yeah, big-time preference on the over two-and-a-half takedowns. And you know we're probably going to be hitting later on in the show uh, Dia Casey over takedowns against Michael Johnson because D1 Casey is a wrestling phenom in the year 2022. But we'll get to that a little bit later on. We got Mateus Nicolau taking on... Matt Schnell, minus 380. Nicolau, plus 315. Schnell, what's your take here, buddy? Okay, so I, I can come to the conclusion that Nicolau would be the pick, but the price is way off to me, man. It just screams massive recency bias without really looking into it. And when you really look into it, Matus Nicolau is an elite flyweight. He's probably a guy that's near title contention at the very least, still young, trains that with an elite camp, going to get in better, make improvements. But he's a low numbers guy, right? Going back to his return to the UFC against Manel Kopp, uh, gets outstruck in that one 61 to 55. It was a slow start by Cop that ultimately did get him the decision, but it was a close, tight knit decision where he did have low output numbers and kind of stared at Cop for the most part. So you give him a pass because Manal's, you know, super explosive and got that big power fair. Now go to the Tim Elliott fight. Nicolau's a sizable favorite against T Tim Elliott, as he should be. Better prospect, higher ceiling. And uh, again, dude, it's low output numbers, man. He got outstruck by Tim Elliott, 70 to 64. It was a nail butter. Take it from me. I had money on Nicolau that night. Wasn't a great feeling decision against Tim Elliott. So that's back-to-back -back fights, close decisions, low output. And then his last fight against David Dvorak, he lands 36 significant strikes over the course of 15 minutes. Yes, did get outstruck by David Dvorak, 39 to 36. Super low output, another decision fight. He scored a knockdown over Dvorak. That's probably what got him that decision. But without it, shit, man, he may have lost that one too. So all these fights are super close and competitive with him. They go to decision, and he's a low output guy. That doesn't scream minus 380. I want in on this. Now, when you look at Matt Schnell, this comes back to recency bias. Homie can't take a punch, right? He's super talented, super talented. No doubt about that. But like Matt Schnell's always been Cheney. Regional scene before he came to the UFC, Cheney. 
early start to his UFC career, most definitely Chinny getting knocked out. He kind of did rebound. He won a couple decent fights. The one with Tyson Nam definitely sticks out in this situation because Nam's a big power guy, but a low output guy. And Matt Chanel just out volumes him. You saw him in the Brendan Royval fight. He dropped Brendan Royval, unfortunately got caught in a submission once he followed him up to the ground. But striking is good. He's fast. On paper, his volume is actually a little bit better than Matus Nicolau. And what keeps leading him to losing is his suspect-ass chin. But Nicolau's not showing you any of these knockout wins. He's a decision guy. He's a low-output decision guy. Did knock down Dvorak, I'll give him that. And I could 100% see him knocking out Matt Schnell. Uh, so I'm, I'm not ruling it off the table. What I am saying is that minus 380, what's the path for Schnell? Well, the path for Schnell is Nicolau doesn't clip him and doesn't knock him out and doesn't take him down. And Schnell is just allowed to use that open space and, and kind of work them. So uh, is it a possibility? Yeah. Would I pick Nikolaou as the pick? Probably. Sure. But at minus 380, it seems very trappy to me. Because this is a card that at minus 380, that puts him at, I don't know, I think like the third biggest favorite on the card. But is he a second ticket guy? I don't know about that, man. I think he could be there for the exposing. I just don't know that I got the cojones to pull the trigger. So if I was a value boy guy or like a dog chaser, or someone that was just going to throw a little punt play on someone at big plus money because they had a chance, Schnell's that guy. But for the sake of putting parlays together and making straight picks on this show, I think I'm going to still go with Nicolau. Just don't like that line. Yeah, no, I fully agree. Like, I don't really have very much to add to that, to be perfectly honest. Like the number, I've been betting Nicolau in all of these spots kind of in the lead up to this fight. But he's been like close to a pick um, or like minus 140, minus 150. It's just like now, now he's just su such a sizable favorite. And all of those fights, like my butt has been at least at half pucker for uh, for at least like a, a round or two during the fight. Like I wasn't 100% sure that I was winning those bets. So yeah, that number is very, very jarring. I mean, RDA feels a million times safer, and he's slightly more. Mm. So, like, as a parlay guy, if you're going to be a parlay guy, it's just like RDA and Dia Casey, who we'll talk about later, feel like safer legs than a guy who, yeah, has shown a proclivity to be involved in very, very close fights. So, I'll pick Nicolau, but, yeah, I'm not going to be betting this whatsoever Schnell has like the the chin issues in the past wouldn't be shocked to see that happen he hasn't really been taken down all that much I was I was hoping to like you know see that type but like against Bontarine he was only taken down once and like Bontarine's a very very solid wrestler Nicolau I feel like if you were going to touch like the over one and a half takedowns on prize picks for Nicolau you could leave very very disappointed because like he just barely even attempts to take the fight down take the fight down. I think he's technically more sound but he's he's a prime suspect for someone who will uh who shit in your uh, proverbial apple pie there Cody. So I'm with you on that. Uh, I think he's going to win but the value is probably on Schnell uh in this spot. Moving on down we got a banger. We got uh, Sergey Pavlovich taking on Ty Bam Bam Tuivasa minus two twenty for Pavlovich. Uh, Bam Bam can be had for plus one eighty five. This is awesome. And like, how are how are we not gonna bet Ty Tuivasa in a fight, a heavyweight fight? Two super, super bangers. Pavlovich has impressed me. He's done really well. He's absolutely torn through the competition. But let's, you know, facts are facts. He's been fighting some really low-level competition in the heavyweight division. 
on his way up until Derek Lewis and then absolutely killed him. But like Shamil, very, very slow. Maurice Green, we, I mean, we spent years just making jokes about Maurice Green. One eye's looking at uh, Cody, one eye's looking at Rick um, type of situation there. Marcelo Gom, kind of a PFL flame out. The first time someone actually took him down was like Alistair Overeem, and we show it showed, you know, it was back in 2018, so I'm sure he's made massive improvements, but it's like it showed how limited Pavlovich is. Um, I'm not saying Ty's going to go out there and wrestle, but like he's put in, in, he's put in some time in that side of the game. Wouldn't be stunned to see him like mix in a little bit of wrestling here, but if these guys are just going to meet in the center, Cody, and and just throw haymakers... Give me the dog. Give me Tai Tuivasa at plus one eighty five all day of the week. What's your take here? Yeah, shame on the UFC only because this is a great fight. This is people's main event. But think about when you're putting this card together. You're like, well, what's the headliner, guys? And you're like, uh, oh, Wonder Boy's washed up, lost his last two fights. Let's throw him in there. Well, who's he gonna fight? Well, Kevin Holland just retired, and there were little interest after he got blown out by Kamzat. Let's do that. It's like, okay, what about a co-main event? It's like Brian Barberena. Rafael Desanos. I like the fight. Don't get me wrong. But still, yeah, okay, fair enough. What about below that? Poof. Matt Schnell. Matus Nicolau. Oh. Then you get this banger? I mean, you got Taito Ivasa that was just competitive against Cyril Gaon, the future the champion, hardest. right? He'll probably win another vacant title or an interim title or some bullshit. Uh, but anyways, dude, yeah, yeah. He, he was competitive in the first round. He hurt him. You know, mm-hmm. he landed. He's got a ton of hype. He's one of the most fan-favorite guys on the entire roster. And he's, like, on a decent run versus Sergei Pavlovich, who's, like, excitement personified and is on a killer run. Both these guys got intangible upside. Both these guys aren't retiring tomorrow. And everybody wants to see this fight. But now nah, let's bury it lower greasy on the 15 fight card. Can I share my greasy theory? Yeah, hit me. Greasy theory? This is the last fight. I'm guessing. This is a total guess. I have no idea. Haven't looked any research into it. I would guess that it's like tied to Ivasa's last fight on his contract. And they don't want you know, him to like get, you know, you know how they do with negotiations. Yeah. It's like they don't want him to be a main event spot, absolutely crack somebody. And then it's just like, well, we, now we got to back up the Brinks truck and pay this guy off. Which, I mean, it's tied to Ivasa. This man should be getting paid. He's, we've got another like five to ten years of super exciting fights from this guy. He's one of the more fan-friendly guys and like the best walk-in or walk-in music in the game. Love Ty. Um, obviously, we do shoeys on the show because of him. Um, I cut you off just getting too excited about Ty. What were you saying? No, no, I didn't come off. It was all good. But I will counter your greasy theory with my own greasy theory, Ooh. okay? Let's say it is the last fight of his contract. And they're like, dude, let's bury this guy so that even if he goes out there and wins in big fashion, we can just kind of move it along. He wants too much money. And if he loses, we'll say, yeah, oh, hey, we'll try to renegotiate with you. But for way less money, you just lost Barry down on a card. Like, let's say that is that is the theory. Out of all, okay, you know if this guy wins. First thing he's going to do. Grab that microphone, grab a shoe, pour a beer, drink the shoe. You know that. You know that. What of all the 50 American states is the most likely state that people are going to also pull off the shoe, pour beer, and get down with Ty Tuivasa? Of all of them. It's Florida, Paul. It's Florida. They're putting him right in his basically adopted hometown. If he wins, the place is going to go nuts. You could have him on the first fight. It don't matter. 
they're going to throw down for Ty. Uh, I, I, I just don't know. I don't know. It's 15 fights. There's no rhyme or reason. They throw shit on. Maybe they didn't go with the profile. In terms of the pick, this one would have to be lower down because it's a greasy heavyweight fight and just like anything can happen. But I think I'm agreeing with you, man. I think I'm kind of leaning towards Ty Tuivasa. I see his path to losing 100%. The counter to that is what do you know against Sergey Pavlovich? Well, that he's super jacked. He's got big power. He can bring it. He's never gone out of the first round, right? He finishes these guys in the first round. Now, you mentioned some of the opponents that he's fought. They're these lower-level guys, right? He can smoke through a Marcelo Golem. He can smoke through a Maurice Green. He's never been had to get that cardio tested. But if he was to get to a three, four, five-minute mark, get into that second round, is it not plausible that he would tire out? Look how much muscle the guy carries around on him. I think it's a certain possibility. Now, with Tai Tuivasa, if you're going to give plus money versus Tai versus anybody... It's worth a look. I, mm-hmm. I did not take that plus money against Cyril Gone on a personal level because I thought Gone would be way too technical. But you want to talk Same about here. butt cheeks being puckered. I gave him a go, dude. Ty gave him a go. And he showed you the same thing. At plus money, he is dangerous. He can crack. And, and and talk about, well, he needs to last the first three minutes, the first, you know, the first round if he can to extend him later. I don't think it's crazy to think. If you look at his fight with, say, uh, uh, Greg Hardy, right? He gets stung early in the first round. Greg Hardy tries to pounce. He's still in it. He counters him. He knocks him out. His fight with Tai Tuivasa, t- or not Tai Tuivasa, his fight with Derek Lewis. Derek stung him in that first round, gave him a go in that first round. Second round, Tai comes back with him with the same intensity. For a big boy, there's no doubt about it that he has been taking his training seriously. He's extremely mobile for a heavyweight. He cracks amongst the best guys in the division. Cyril Gone has literally ran the gamut, right? He fought uh, Francis Ngannou. He fought uh, Yarazino Rosenstruck. He's fought and basically he fought Derek Lewis. He's fought all of the heavy hitters. In fact, he's fought all the best heavy hitters the heavyweight division's ever seen and is on record being like, I hits the hardest, man. He hit me and I went down, right? So I, I think he's live in that puncher's chance scenario, but he's also live in the scenario that the first round's a drag him out slugfest and he simply doesn't get knocked out. He's got one of those, you know, Samoan chins. He can take a go. His mentor, the great Mark Hunt, made a career of doing the same thing. Absorb that damage early and if the opponent uh, gives it but can't take it, then you bring it back. Now, you mentioned this point with um, when he fought Alistair Overeem. That's the only time you've seen him be the nail. Every time out there, Sergey Pavlovich is the hammer all day long, right? Mm-hmm. Goes out there, takes care of business. The one time that you've seen him face that adversity, he crumpled up big time. Whereas Ty, <laughs> he faces adversity pretty much all the time. He will get hit. The difference is that you know he's going to fight for your dollar. You know that he's going to come through the fire and make it happen. So, are you super confident Ty to Austin? No, it's a heavyweight fight versus a guy that is a one-rounder, a one-rounder that could definitely get it done within that time frame. Yeah, it's going to be one of those tense-type situations, those those greasy, sweaty fights, very nervous throughout. But I think Ty Tuivas at plus money is live. And so on a 15-fight card, I know we've got underdogs right now. We've picked quite a few underdogs to this point. But uh, there's quite a few favorites that like round out the rest of this card. I think a guy like Ty Tuivas as a heavyweight at plus money is one of those dogs that I would key in with a with a legitimate shot. Now, that's not saying anything against Pavlovich. I think the guy is extremely legit. It's that you think he's legit from what you've seen, but you don't know he's legit because you haven't seen the five rounds. You haven't seen the three rounds. You haven't seen the he got dropped and he got back up. You haven't seen he's tired and he needs to make an adjustment. Those are all things that world-class fighters do. Mm-hmm. Not saying he can't do them, saying that you haven't seen him do them. That's the key difference. Yep, 100%. Yeah, heavyweight banger. Give me the plus money side. Um, on prize picks, um, less than five-minute fight time. 
has slight like compared to the market like fight ends in round one is like minus 150 minus 210 in one spot so there's slight value on that uh on the prize picks side of things but yeah both of us war 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 bam bam let's uh let's go two bam bams on the same card which is have they ever been on a card before it's got to be a first I don't think so. Everyone I seen this thing online actually was like two Bam Bam's gonna lose. I'm like, okay, hopefully it's a one and one. And that one and one, I'm hoping is Ty winning and Brian losing. Yeah, how how can if you Brian wins? I'm Ty. taking a bath this weekend, big time. If Ty loses, your weekend will go on. You don't have all your investment in it. But uh, with Raphael, like Raphael Brian, I need that to go according. Yeah, Raphael, I mean, we talked about it already. He should. Uh, he seems to have all angles covered outside of like a volume based decision. And that would have to be RDA fighting a really, really stupid fight, basically, and just being like, "I'm gonna go to war and just stand with this with this guy." When like, you know, every we we went we went through the laundry list of names of guys that have taken this guy down or taken Barbarina down at will. So that's uh, yeah, I feel pretty safe with your uh, top ticket of RDA. Now watch he like blows his kneecap out or something. Um, moving happens on. all the time. That's what <laughs> happens when you bet on people stripped down to their underwear fighting for money. Um, crazy shit happens. Moving on down, we got uh, Jack Hermanson taking on Roman Deletes. Hermanson, a minus 200 favorite. Deletes can be had for plus 170. Hermanson, this is a uh, late notice replacement. He was supposed to be taking on Derek Brunson in this spot. Deletes steps up and in. I mean, we talked about Deletes a whole bunch on this program. Low-volume striker. He was kind of listed as being a grappler. Um, and now he's, you know, he's landed a couple kind of meme knockouts uh, his last two fights. Phil Haas, we always knew that he kind of has questionable chin. And Dawkins, that one was a little bit surprising, but, like, he landed an absolute nuke on him and, uh, and put him away. I feel like the Joker's got deletes covered pretty much on all angles here should be able to keep the fight upright as long as he doesn't need a massive shot um should just dance around him big cage will help his style of play or his style of fighting here dance around him maybe he can probably take him down if he wanted to as well mix in some takedowns uh later in rounds to just like secure them i feel like and you know he was already getting ready for this card we don't really know what deletes was up to in the lead up to it I think minus 200 is a pretty fair price on uh, Jack Hermanson this week. What about you? And I totally agree. Roman Deletes. Roman Deletes has done an excellent job. Of, if you're going to be a low-volume striker, you know, you, you better throw heat in those shots. And he does. He sits down on his punches. And what he can do is go there and intercept somebody that would be considered chinny. Last time I against Phil Hawes, a guy that's most definitely considered chinny, he clips him. Kyle Degas, to a much lesser extent, I don't know that I would necessarily say he's a guy with no chin. But a guy that's vulnerable to get caught. And uh, same thing. But keep in mind, he's had six fights in the UFC. And he's landed a combined 122 significant strikes in six outings. Jack Hermanson landed 122 against Marvin Vittori. He landed 137 against Sean Strickland. Hell, his last time out, he landed 100 against my boy, the action man, Chris Curtis, in 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. The guy is all output right and so this is not even the apex like it's a bigger cage he's going to be able to just skirt to the outside stay out of range and matador him one thing against dolites is that when you see his knockouts it's guys meeting him in the center and throwing down it's guys egos like oh i'm going to crack this guy Delkis is within range 
Phil Hawes is within range. I don't see uh, Hermanson just hanging out in the pocket with him. In terms of the grappling, Dolit's on paper. Yeah, the guy, uh, I think he'd won like the ADCC Oceana title. You know, had gotten a spot into the tournament, but never actually did compete. Is a BJJ black belt. Made his pro debut at like 220 pounds. Was considered a bigger guy. But no, I think actually the grappling advantage goes towards Jack Hermanson. I mean, he's got pretty solid Swedish wrestling foundation. Uh, remember, he like wrestled Kamzat Chimaev in that video. The early going, it's like, ah, oh, dude, Chimaev's wrestling him down. The later going, it's like Jack Hermanson's got solid cardio. He's always in shape, and he's got excellent technique. The guy's always going to be in it. If he wants to fight five rounds or three rounds, I think he pushes a pretty decent pace. And as he's getting a little bit older, he realizes maybe not the greatest chin, maybe not the most uh, not the most power. So why hang out in the pocket and try to hurt the guy as much as stay at range and cause him to get frustrated, matador him away? So that same game plan he used against Chris Curtis would be extremely effective against Roman Deletes, a training partner of Chris Curtis, may I add simply because Roman Delis doesn't have the footwork to cut him off. And even if he does cut him off, it's not as simple as everyone on Twitter being like, why doesn't action man just go left when he goes right? It's like, no, nah, man, there's so much more to it. Jack's setting traps. Jack's hitting you. And just as you think you're trapping him, he spunks you in the face with a shot and he moves out. I also don't think he's afraid of shooting the takedown on Roman at all. Roman's grappling, okay, but he doesn't show a whole lot of submissions, first of all. And second of all, he's not all that good off his back. So, yeah, he'll roll for a leg lock or something stupid. But is Jack going to get caught in a knee bar? Knowing my luck and the way I'm talking right now. Yeah, yeah, cause it up. First round knee bar, Roman deletes. But the actuality of the situation is, Manson, again, multiple passive victory here. I think he can grapple with him. I think he can take him down and lay up on top. I think he'll get that control time. And I think that he can just skirt to the outside and use his speed advantage and his output to uh, to just win a decision out of this one. So taking Hermanson, and I don't know if it's going to be greedy, but I think I'm going to take Hermanson by decision. Like, as much as I can say Roman's uh, grappling is not as good as it is on paper, I don't think he gets submitted here. I just don't. And then in terms of him getting knocked out, dude's chin's pretty good. Mm -hmm. and Jack just doesn't really crack all that much, right? So I would say that this is probably a fight that's going to the distance unless Roman does what Roman does from time to time, and that's, you know, catch some crazy wild thing, something in an exchange, whether it be he does lock up a leg or whether it be he, uh, you know, lands a short little right hand within the pocket. Could happen. Could happen. It's MMA. I will fully admit that. But again, we got to go with practicality. What's up? What's the most likely outcome? Most likely outcome here is Hermanson by decision. Yep, I like that. And on um, prize picks, uh, 56.5, significant strikes, Hermanson, more. I feel like if this goes 15 minutes, that should like, be a pretty like. easy cash. Like that's even if it, it's kind of like a little bit more low output than, you know, the Chris Curtis fight. Like I, I would struggle to see him getting to like less than 70. So I think that gets there pretty early. I saw Shabazian fight went 15 minutes and he only got to 55. That would be a little bit tilting, but I don't know if Jack's going to be. Um, like against Edmund Shabazian, he was just like, I'm just going to take him down and, and secure control from top position, not really throw down too much. Like, I feel like in this matchup, you know, he was getting ready to take on Derek Brunson. So I don't think he was really thinking about going to the mat anyway. He was going to stand and trade, um, keep the fight standing. Um, I feel like that's going to be pretty similar um, in this matchup against the Leeds. So 56.5 seems too low to me. So I am going more. On Jack the Joker there. All right, we got Kyle Dawkins taking on Eric Anders, minus 225 for Dawkins, plus 190 for Anders. Who you got here, buddy? Yeah, well, I've been doing this thing lately where it's like, because you know me, Eric Anders was my boy. Not just his nickname, your boy Eric Anders. I love this guy coming out of LFA. You know, he legitimately won the title, and you legitimately beat some good guys like Brandon Allen. 
sky was the limit for him. Former college player out of Alabama, won a state, uh, national title, was the captain of the team. Like six of his buddies on the team went to the NFL. This guy's a freak athlete, right? And once he puts it all together, he's going to be a problem. The thing is, I think I had that conversation with you maybe about six years ago, right? And he's literally never lived up to it, not once in those six years. In fact, there's definite regression happening to his overall game. He's the most untrustworthy guy. He seems to have just a well of potential, and at no point has shown you any of it. So, yeah, we can go back to the Leona Machito fight where he headlines in Brazil, and you thought maybe he won. Some people thought maybe he won, but he failed to pull the trigger. He stared at Leona the entire time, even though he could have won that fight. He just failed to really deliver. And outside of that, it's been way downhill. The Tim Williams fight, he's losing the fight until he punts him in the face in the third round. Got lucky, kind of. It was almost an illegal kick. But till that point, he's not throwing. He's not doing anything. They've matched him up soft with Vinicius Moreira. He can win that fight. Sure, you know, he caught him. Sure. But that power of his, never on display. Never hitting these guys. Never hurting these guys. Floats from 205, where he's lethargic and lazy, chasing down Elias Theodoru, the late Elias Theodoru. But just like bum performance after bum performance comes up on the losing end of it moves down to 185 changes camps and goes to fight ready and then shows up in the first fight with darren stewart and look awesome dude this is the guy that we've been waiting for all these years looks great looks good gets himself after uh just smoking the crap out of darren stewart early gets himself a no contest after landing uh, an unintentional mm -hmm. illegal knee and then in the three fights since that where he looked awesome changed camps New weight class, highly motivated. They they rebook an immediate rematch, and he looks like absolute dog shit in the immediate rematch against Darren Stewart. Until he, he got, got poked in the eye, he and then he came, then he came after strike. him in round three to like secure the win. But yeah, it was like he was minus one fifty the there. I was loaded hit, yeah. up on Eric Anders, and it was like it was very disappointing. Everybody's. It was very disappointing. Everybody was loaded up on him because it's like we just watch him smoke Darren Stewart, right? It, he looks in good physical shape. We all know the potential. Maybe he's finally realizing it. And yeah, man, like he leans on him. No takedowns. Never gets close. Got taken down twice. Strong argument he's down two rounds going into the third. I had it 1-1. I'm hoping it's 1-1. And I'll give him the third round. Yeah, no, he went out there and he decided I need to win this fight. And then barely did that. But held him up against the cage, landed the shots, squeaked one out. Twitter was pissed off. Some people thought Darren Stewart won. I get it. But it was a bad performance. So I'm like, dude, never again, man. I'm off this guy. So we switch off him, and he gets the Andre Moniz fight. Now, even though Moniz is a BJJ whiz, the talks was uh, Anders has got the power, right? Anders could clip him, knock him out. Anders is big, physically strong. Takedown defense is not terrible. If he could keep it upright, he's got a puncher's chance. No. Submitted early. Less than a minute in with an armbar. You give him a pass because it's Moniz. And his last fight against Jung Young Park, much of the same. I load up on Park for the simple fact that I'm done with Eric Anders. It's not a fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. It's, it's like fool me seven times. He does this all the time. When would you learn your lesson? But the Park fight is very similar to all these other fights. He gets outstruck in all three rounds. He gets nearly doubled up in all three rounds. He loses the fight overall on significant strikes 105 to 65. But he had three takedowns, and a lot of people online did score the fight for him. I didn't. Maybe because I had money against him. But to me, it comes back to the same thing, which is always Eric Anders. He's not fighting. He's leaning on you against the cage. Same thing he did to Darren Stewart. 
but he's not he's not striking he's not trying to land he's not trying to like dig he's not trying to go that extra mile like people are judging this on a fist fight and eric andrews has the potential to be an all-action guy and yet they always boo him they boo him because he's just leaning on his opponent up against the cage unwilling to really engage so it's much of the same maybe the optics is he won the fight he got takedowns and he had more control time but if you're not landing they're going to screw you on the scorecards and people complaining he's getting screwed on the scorecards well, he's doing it to himself now in florida with a raucous crowd they want to see action and i feel like kyle Dawkins is probably going to bring more of that will he get controlled in the cage yeah because he's not physically as strong as eric andrews those are facts if this thing plays out in the clinch up against the cage which most anders fights nowadays seemingly do Anders will probably have the advantage of leaning into him. I just feel like Dawkins is going to land the combinations when it is in the open field. When it's up against the cage, he's going to be landing those short shots. If Anders does manage to get this fight to the ground, Dawkins has an excellent grappling game. And if Dawkins is able to trip Anders up and get on top, he's going to be able to do some 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 solid work from a top position. So he's got pass that he can use to win. And I can't outright rule Eric Anders out because the guy's got skill. He just never puts it to good use, man. Never puts it to good use. So stinky split decision incoming boring not very good fans are booing not expecting much out of this fight but i do think that it goes towards Dawkins because he'll just be doing ever slightly a little bit more yeah in the basically like you were talking about like potential and all of this other stuff at the end of the day anders is what he is at this point cody he's 35 years old yeah you know in the in the the wise words of Jim Leahy from Trailer Park Boys, a shit leopard doesn't change its spots. Um, I think we've seen the top level. Like you know, when was he playing college football? It was like 15 years ago at this point. Like we should stop bringing up the fact that he played for Alabama. Like that's so irrelevant at this point. Um, and like his athleticism, the athleticism advantages that he had over people, say three, four, five years ago, it's like, those are diminishing every single time. Dawkins coming off of a rough knockout loss, obviously last time out, he should be able to handle him. I think he's going to be the one landing the big shots, probably has a significant grappling edge. If he can get the fight to the mat, uh, I'm just not betting Eric Anders, um, on the back, on the back, uh, half of this part of his career and frankly and i said this off the top of the show cody this seems more kind of like an anders you know coming off of two straight losses this would be three straight losses christmas is coming they've got a whole bunch of new people from contender series anders looks like an easy an easy guy to hand their walking papers uh if he doesn't come away victorious so i'm with you i think docus uh wins cleanly here i prefer hermanson at minus 200 um, on the money line. I think that's a much better parlay piece. I am a little bit cautious with Dawkins, but uh, still, still I'm going to pick him to win. Don't know if I'm going to be betting it. Uh, moving on down, we got Nico Price taking on Phil Rowe. Minus 140 for Price, plus 120 for Rowe. Who you got? So I want to dig a lot more into this matchup before I really like lock it and secure it. But the move, I think, is if I'm kind of feeling maybe some slight action Phil Rowe only after the first round. Now, why would I take this plus 140 right now? What is it? It's not even plus 140, is it? Uh, why would I take plus this right now yeah. when I know he's going to lose the first round and then start his rally? I might as well just look at taking this from a live betting perspective. Nico Price, super talented, no doubt about it. But what we do know about Nico Price is like, yeah, he's a fan favorite because he just takes an absolute beating. He's a father of six or seven kids. Um, but yeah, he's got these wars, man. His fight with 
Well, all of them. His fight with Morono, he gets dropped. His fight with Vincente Luque, he got dropped before he got knocked out. His fight with uh, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, he got his head blown off 43 seconds in. His fight with Jeff Neal, he got caught. Big old knockout in that one. In a fight that he was doing okay in the start off. Uh, his fight with Vincente Luque, the rematch, he got hit 130 significant times in that fight and then knocked out with less than a minute and a half left in the fight. Those are the worst because you take the accumulated damage of a sustained beating with that little cherry on top of getting knocked out. So at this point, I feel like Nico Price sustained a ton of damage. I bet him heavy against Donald Cerrone in his last fight under the pretense that who's more washed, Nico Price or Donald Cerrone, Cerrone. Holy shit, dude. He, that fight was a war. He got uh, he landed Cerrone, sure, but he got hit 113 significant times. Face got massively busted up. Ended up being a draw. Ended up being rolled back to a no contest on like a failed test. Not not a good performance for him, but just way more damage taken. His fight with Michelle Pereira, Pereira lands 92. A lot of clean blows in that fight. More damage uh, accumulated for him. So if you remember Nico Price, right, in 2017, three great fights. 2018, three great fights. In 2019, three great fights. In 2022, great fights. In 2021, Two pretty good fights. This being his first fight of 2022. So you can see, because he's not that old, man, but you can see the damage is definitely accumulating on this guy. He's a lot slower in there. Defensively, he's a liability. He gets hit just way too often. And uh, I almost feel like it's slowing him down, his ability to take that shot, diminishing ever so slightly. He's got multiple losses on his, on his record by knockout. It's almost just compounding. So the time off is probably to address a series of injuries that the guy has, but also uh, to me, maybe not the best version of Nico price that you're going to go out there and see Phil Rowe. Meanwhile, listen, no doubt there's issues against Phil Rowe, but there's also some good stuff. Six foot three with an 80 inch reach, right? So yeah, does he give up takedowns? Of course he gives up takedowns. He's so long and lanky that guys are obviously going to just want to take the easiest path of victory and go out there, get him all up against the cage and take him down. Nico price, not really that guy. Second of all, is that the guy's a high-level BJJ black belt, so he's worked on that extensively. If I can't stop the takedown, I'm going to be good off my back. And his grappling's good enough that if he did get taken down, I think he's going to be okay in this spot. What I do like is his, like, nine-punch combination standing. And look at his last two fights, realistically. The Orion Koski fight, he loses the first round. He gets taken down. He gets controlled. The second round... He just lights him up. You know, everything's hitting on the money. That jab is excellent. His technical boxing has come a long way. He lights up Koski, who's one of these guys that gasses out and gets knocked out. Okay, fine. Next fight against Jason Witt. Wow, it's the same thing. Jason Witt, not necessarily a gasser, but can't take a punch. He gets taken out in the first round. Gets controlled in the first round. The second he finds some space in the second round, he lights him up with just a dynamite combination and puts him away. So this fight with Nico Price, Price is going to be in it, but in a different way. I don't think he's going to be pursuing those takedowns to the same extent. I think instead... He's going to be doing what Nico Price generally always does, and that's have an entertaining, run, fun, rock'em, sock'em style kickboxing match in front of his hometown crowd because it's in Florida. He's a longtime American top team guy. No doubt friends and family are going to be in attendance. He's going to have one of those fun fights. Hasn't fought in a year, right? Chomping at the bit. Wants to have a good fight. Rose not the kind of guy that you just play around with. Take him now. Take the path of least resistance. But to just stand with him with that 80-inch reach, with his ability to throw combinations, with his accuracy, and also his cardio don't look half bad, he's going to be a problem because you're going to fight him to his level. And to me, Nico Price is probably going to go out there and fight him to his level, which would be bad news. So can I see Price winning? Yeah. But I think Price wins the first round, takes some damage, 
and then Roe comes back second and third, makes it live. So I'm I'm more looking towards a live betting uh, option for Roe. And I wouldn't outrule, I wouldn't rule out, sorry, uh, switching the pick to Nico Price, seeing him at weigh-ins, hearing some good interviews. I could be talked into it. I th- think he can win this fight, no doubt. It's just there's going to be dogs that are going to slip through. Roe's got a chance as a live underdog, I think. But I think you're going to get much better plus money after he likely loses the first round because he just tends to always lose the first round, that guy. Yeah. I'm really torn on this one myself. Um, I think it's going to come down to like just output and volume for the most part. I haven't seen too much from Roe. I know you said that you were talking about like nine. Yeah, he, he's used like some of these higher, you know, bigger combinations when he's had guys on the ropes and like uh, chasing the finish against them. But I haven't seen like sustained 15 minutes like we did see with like um, with Nico Price, who almost beat, who should have beat. Donald Cerrone, if he didn't have that point deducted um, in that fight, and he had. And I thought he beat Pereira, but 150 the same significant thing. And Pereira strikes. should have had a point deducted too, backflip and kicking him in the, the head. Yeah, Pereira took him down three times though too, which is like a really really tough look. This is not. I mean, there's 15 fights on the card. It's not a fight. This is not a fight that I feel yeah, like I, I have a massive edge on fair. either side of the coin. To be perfectly honest. But for the purposes of the program, I'm picking Nico Price. But, yeah. I mean, I've already got, like, a list of things that I'm considering betting. This ain't one of them, my friend. Emily Decody takes on Angela Hill. We've got uh, Decody as a minus 125 favorite. Hill plus 105. Your thoughts? So, my heart tells me my girl Emily Decody, right? I think she goes out there. She grinds her out. Big fan of her for a long time. Obviously, a standout on the Bellator scene. And then fought up a weight class in Bellator and didn't necessarily get the results. But it's got like the Invicta KO of the year. It's, it's actually one of the KOs of the year and just in general. Nasty, nasty knockout. She's got, you know, much improved uh, striking. She's got decent power for the division. She comes from a wrestling background. And, of course, spent a long time with Rafael Lovato Jr. So, her BJJ is pretty tight she's got kind of all those aspects that you like and so far in the ufc been going with emily Decody, and uh now people are starting to wise up and jump to her that's what my heart's telling me go with your girl you like her ah my head's telling me this is uh, like an angela hill split decision right up her alley because the thing with Decody is as much as she does have that wrestling she doesn't really seem to be looking to use it right i mean look back at the invicta fights with daniel taylor look at these fights that she could be wrestling where she's instead just trying to land those big shots even in her debut against jessica panay maybe you don't want to go to the ground with jessica panay maybe that's the angle but it would have been real easy to secure takedowns if she wanted them she had no interest her big interest was land the strikes and she lands 116 of them she has the power she did a good job she put on a good effort a good showing if she chooses to strike with angela hill but she can win the fight it's a viable option, but if she chooses to do it, it's not going to be the path of least resistance. You want to take down Angela Hill. If you stand with her, you're opening yourself up to these fights. And with Angela Hill, she's been someone that, first of all, if you're going to bet her, you're not betting her at this plus 105. You're betting her by decision because, dad, just Angela Hill's probably not finishing anybody, especially Emily Ducote. But when you can get Angela Hill for plus money, one thing that you're going to be guaranteed is that the fight's still likely going to decision. It'll be competitive, and she's got a chance of squeaking it out. She was on a three-fight losing streak before her last fight against Lupita Godinez. Comes in as a plus 200 underdog, even better than a plus 200 underdog. And it's much of the same. It's a close, competitive fight where Godinez abandoned the takedowns and decided to strike with her. And as a result, Hill edges her out, gets the decision. 
her fight with Amanda Lamos. I thought she won the fight perfectly, to be perfectly honest, but it was a split decision. She's gone the distance with Tisha Torres. She's gone the distance with Michelle Watterson, another debatable split decision. She got robbed by Claudia Gadelli in a debatable split decision. So this is kind of the angle on this one. I know I know, it didn't work out last time, but when we talked about, Zub uh, uh, not Zuberto Hugov, uh, Tukarov, sorry, who just, who just lost the last fight, always loses by split decision, lost to Charles Johnson, um, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, yes. Uh, Zalgas Zumagulov, who, uh, who retired after. So he, got, he got robbed so many times in his career. Poor guy. He gets robbed every time, right? But there's one thing about him is that when he fights, he may get robbed. He may get the decision. But you know it's going to be close and competitive and potentially split decision. So with Hill, it's much of the same. She's fun. All of the best girls in the division. And then win or lose... They're generally competitive fights, and she's in them. She's coming off an upset win as an underdog, and now she's getting somebody that's hot in the division because she's new in the division. Oh, former Bellator standout, won the Invicta title, debuted in UFC with a big win over Jessica Panay. If she chooses not to wrestle, and she may, she may choose not to wrestle. If she chooses not to wrestle, this thing's going 15 minutes. It's going to decision. It's going to be close. It's going to be competitive. It's going to be subjective. She could end up losing this thing, so... I'm almost feeling that ever so slight plus money towards Angela Hill, but I would juice it with that Hill by decision. And then likewise, if I ended up chasing my heart's theory on it, uh, I think I would go with Dakota by decision again. And then if I was a total, I don't want to pick either side. What's the price on just a fight to go to decision? I'm going to guess oh, minus 260. Oh, I'm going to guess it's, it's not a good price. No, it's horrible. But, uh, but that, would be, your, that would be your easiest way. 33 is the really... best number right now on the market. <laughs> yeah. Fight goes to decision. Yeah. Over two and a half rounds is minus 400 across the market. Like The problem with your decision <laughs> props on Hill is like, She's plus 105 on the money line, and they have, like, there's one book that has her at plus 125 to win by decision. So it's like, it's kind of like the Viana. Yeah, um, what about Dakota? What about Dakota? Dakota? Is it much different if you took her by decision? Yeah. Dakota decision. I mean, that gets you. Not really. I mean, this fight is really, like, plus 150 really. is the best. It's going to decision. Plus 150 is the best number on Dakota by decision. Plus 150 is the best number on Hill by decision. So slightly, you know, a little bit more coming back towards you on the Dakota decision versus her money line. But yeah, this this number is set as these two ladies are going 15 minutes. Um, the only thing that I have like maybe potential interest in would be Dakota over seventy significant strikes. Like Hill, uh, Hill has some fights that go. Oh no, she's she's definitely very hittable. Um, a lot of these fights are like five round fights, but you know, Tisha Torres got one hundred and forty four off against her. Loopy got ninety two significant strikes off against her. Seventy for Dakota seems pretty manageable nothing that i love but definitely a consideration i'll side with you on hill but yeah this i think this is a properly priced coin flip as most angela hill fights are you you bet angela hill when she's like a plus 200 plus 250 underdog when she's properly priced at a pick em, i mean you're basically just paying the rake like it, it seems like a 50 50 fight to me uh, I got Hill. It sounds like you have, you're going, you're leaning ever so slightly to Hill too. 
I am. And where I was going with the Zalgazuma Gulov thing is I made all those points about how this thing's going to be a split decision and he'll probably get robbed. But at plus money, I was willing to gamble that I'd get two of the judges. <laughs> Yo, he loses a split decision and people say he gets robbed. Like, I feel so bad for that guy. And then he retires. So, ah, uh, man, tough go. Tough go for sure. And what's going to happen to me here? I'm probably going to be on the bum side of a split decision. But flatter me this. If you do have the book, Paul doesn't have to look it up for you. But if you do have a book and they have a prop for will this be a split decision? Because some books allow that. That'll get you big plus money. And I, yeah. I got a feeling this thing's going to be one of them close competitive split decision type fights. Yeah, I see. Uh either fighter wins by split decision or split slash majority decision plus 350. I think that's a pretty... Boom, boom, boom. That's I, think, going. I think that's a solid look, to be perfectly honest. I, I'm expecting it to be a very, very closely competitive fight. And plus 350, yeah, that seems like a decent little spot if you have access to those types of props, which uh, I do not right now. Maybe one day. You do over, over in Ontario right now, but... Uh, you just got to widen your horizons, my friend, because it's out there for you. Um, all right, let's move on to the next fight. We got Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman taking on Clay the Carpenter Guida. Holtzman is a minus 150 favorite. Guida can be had four plus 130. Not going to lie, Cody. I thought Holtzman was gone. Like, I thought maybe he got cut or he, like, retired or I, I wasn't so sure. I mean, he's 39 years old, former hockey player. We've been talking about him for years, coming off of two pretty brutal losses uh, against really, really legit competition and uh, Benil Dariush and Matus Gamrot. And then Guida on the other side is, um, you know, he's pretty long in the tooth. He's 40 years old at this point. I feel like this is almost like a pink slip fight. Um yeah, Guida's only coming off of one loss, but what a loss. The Claudio Puelas knee bar. Everyone's like, oh, he's never been subbed, myself included. And then he gets rolled and subbed literally pretty much immediately into that fight. Super, super tilting. I have no idea. Like, throw a dart at this one. Um, I have no idea really what to expect when these two guys step in there. Do you have a good read on this one? No, not really. Simply because with Holtzman, dude, dude, I totally agree. I thought he retired. Uh, not because I didn't think he was competitive anymore, but two knockout losses. Here's a guy that had previously gone the distance with, uh, like Josh Emmett, previously gone the distance with, you know, some pretty decent guy, Drew Dober, right? Uh, he had a good chin, gets knocked out in his last two, 39 years old, a little bit older. I think he does a lot of coaching and stuff like that, stays active. I didn't know if he was going to be coming back. So now that he is coming back, are you excited in the sense that, Oh damn, Holtzman's got a lot left to offer. Or are you worried in the fact that was it injuries? Was it motivation? Thirty nine. Was the body feeling like? Is it a financial move? Hey, maybe I'll cash out one more before the UFC releases me. It's it's one of those late December cards. As you talked about, contracts are up. It's possibly got a call that was like, we owe you one fight to round out December to round out twenty twenty three. If you accept it, you can fight on one of these last cards, the last three uh, cards of the year. If you don't accept it, you're probably just getting your pink slip anyways. Two-fight losing streak, having competed in over a year. Who knows what the story is? That in itself makes it a little bit tricky. The other thing is, is that Holtzman at his worst can't really wrestle all that good, right? When you look back at his losses, he gave up five takedowns to Drew Dober. He gave up one to Cody Fister, eight to Josh Emmett. He gave up three to Michael McBride. <laughs> yeah, you heard that one, right? He gave up one to Daryl Horcher. He gave up five to Nick Lentz. He gave up one to Dung Young Ma, Little Dong. He, he got taken down by a whole lot of guys in the UFC. And then yet his Jim Miller fight, Jim just didn't even shoot any takedowns. I think he shot two. 
And Holtzman stuffed both of them easy and looked real good. Physically very strong. Looked like that he had worked on his takedown defense. Looked like the parts were there. He put a decent beating on Jim Miller. To me, that's the best that he's ever looked. Mm -hmm. The subsequent fights are against, yeah, Benil Dariush and Matus Gamera, two guys that are in the top five, top seven at worst, and uh, he gets knocked out by them. So that's not taking anything away from him. The concern with Guida is I'm not sure what Guida's approach is. Guida pretty much always tries to take everybody down, and he, he's not above shooting 15, 20 takedowns if he needs to, right? So with Holtzman, guys that have shot lots of takedowns generally have had success in getting him down. Clay's worked a lot on his jujitsu in the last few years. Of course, the guy can wrestle. Of course, the guy's got pace, all that. But he grapples a whole lot. He goes to tournaments. He's one of the coaches at Team Alpha Male. Uh, he's picked up a couple decent wins by submission. Choked out Leo Santos. Like, what the hell's going on there? Worked on his jujitsu to an extent that I, I feel like if he got Holtzman down, he would be able to hold Holtzman down. And because Holtzman traditionally gave up takedowns to a whole lot of guys, I'm worried. Now, if I get that prime 2019 gym miller version of him the guy that beat miller yeah i think he does beat clay guida but the uncertainty of where he's at and what kind of shape he's in what kind of mental shape he's in all that's concerning to me whereas with clay guida yeah listen you want to talk about holtzman being 39 guida's like 41 like guida came and fought on one of our cards in alberta he's got to go through like a bunch of additional testing because he's over 40 years old and he has so many fights but to give him one thing it's like yeah he's still with it he still shoots the takedowns his fight with Leo Santos, he overcome beating in the first round. The first little few minutes got hurt to the body, stuck on him, shot those takedowns. But to be honest, yeah, on paper, his wrestling isn't really as good as it used to be. Michael Johnson gives up takedowns to everybody. Mark Madsen, none there, but of course he's a former Olympian. Leo Santos, Leo Santos gassed out and quit. Uh, Claudio Puella subbed him with a knee bar in three minutes. Like, he's a 50-50 guy, he's super hit and miss, and he's taking on a guy that hasn't fought in, in a year, hasn't had results, hasn't won a fight in three years. This is as much of a pass as passes go. But in the sake of we got to make a straight pick, uh, it's a dogger pass, straight dogger pass. And Clay Guida's at plus 135. The narrative of Holtzman winning is just that, a narrative. Whereas Clay, at least he's been competing. At least mm -hmm. he's been in the gym. At least he's not been battling injuries. At least he's not getting flash KO'd and, and thinking about himself, do I want this? So uh, I, I got to go with that plus 135 Clay Guida. Could be the PRP pick. On a 15 fight card. Not likely. Probably way at the bottom. Not quite the PRP pick. But uh, I, I will go slight dog shot here on Clay Guida. Yeah, I'm thinking Clay as well. And Clay has this ability with refs or with the judges too. It's just like, you know, he does a lot of crazy motion and stuff and doesn't really throw some strikes. But it's like the judges just eat that stuff up. So, um, you know, Fans he's won, too. He's won a lot of like questionable decisions with just like the judges have just seemed to love him so if this is going to be relatively competitive and he can mix in some takedowns like as you were as you were alluding to yeah it, it, it's just a clear dogger pass i don't know if i'm going to get there um with my own money in my own pocketbook but uh, yeah end of the line probably for both of these guys uh winner gets another fight or two Loser may be getting their walking papers. Um, but, yeah, Clay Guida, dogger pass situation for both of us there. All right, moving on down. We got Mark Diacasey taking on Michael Johnson. Minus 300 Diacasey, plus 250 for Johnson. D1 Acasey, last two fights, 19 takedowns. How do you beat Michael Johnson? Stick to the game plan. <laughs> Keep Keep doing what has gotten you this research. Like, it's almost kind of like a resurgence. He's been fighting lower level of competition. But, you know, things are probably looking pretty bad for Dia Casey after, 
you know, f- losing to Fiziev in a very, very close competitive matchup and then getting subbed by Rafael Alves. That was a really bad loss for him in that spot. And then now all of a sudden, like, he always had the wrestling, I suppose, but, like, he's really been leaning on it recently. Prize Picks has his takedown set at 2.5. We are going over again um, because it's the gift that keeps on giving. He's got another matchup against a guy who has struggled historically throughout his career. Anytime somebody wants to just stick to the game, like Malarkey went out there last time and really didn't stick to the game plan. It's just like, I think Malarkey could have secured takedowns and wrestled there. And he still came away with the victory there. Don't get me wrong, but he made it a lot harder on on himself by not going to the takedowns whatsoever. Clay Guida took him down, uh, took Johnson down three times. Andre touchy-feely, we're going a bit of a ways back. A lot of guys don't really stick to the game plan against him. If I've seen anything from D1, D.A.K.C., is that that is the game plan right now. Um, the, the volume on the, on the significant strikes is super, super low. The takedown is super, super high. Seems like a matchup that, like, that's exactly what he has to do here. Is just, like, stick to that game plan. Uh, pursue takedowns and when he gets back up take him back down again um I like Dia Casey to win uh I I, I parlayed Dia Casey with Dos Angeles minus 152 um earlier on today for a little bit of Skrilla and on prize picks yeah the more than two and a half takedowns that's gonna be moving to three um guaranteed by the time we get to Friday that'll be three or three and a half so that's my take on this fight what about yours buddy yeah, I don't understand. Oh, I, listen, I, I, the fight's a fight. I'm into it, sure. But I don't understand the matchmaking. Like, you got Michael Johnson, who you know can't really wrestle, right? You know this. Why would you not give him an all-action guy? Dude's got a knockout win over Dustin Poirier. He dropped Justin Gaethje. It was actually a fight of the year against Justin Gaethje and, and Gaethje's debut for the UFC. <clears throat> Johnson's an all-action guy. He's a fan favorite. He get, delivers one hell of a show. He could have won that Jamie Malarkey fight. I thought he lost because of the, the numbers, but... You know, he, he hurt Malarkey, almost toasted him. It was a close fight. Could have given it to him. Why not give him an all-action guy? Like, you know, Casey's going to do one thing, one thing only, and then shoot multiple takedowns. Like, why why offer up Johnson? He's lost five of his last, last... He's lost five of his last six. He's 36 years old. His record is 20 and 18. Like, he probably gets paid a half-decent penny because he used to be... Like, I feel like this is another guy that's like, all right, this is like a walking papers type of fight. Dia Casey goes out there, just spams takedowns, boring decision, and uh, and then Michael Johnson will get his walking papers. Like that's how I feel about like the from the UFC's perspective with this matchup. Yeah, listen, you're not totally wrong. He makes a lot of money because he's very tenured with the promotion. The more fights you get, the more fights you win, you're going to slightly bump up. So yeah, he's probably making in the neighborhood of a sixty and sixty. Gets paid over hundred thousand dollars to show up. Do they got guys from the contender series who are willing to get in there and mix it up? Sure. Uh, the other thing too is if I'm if I'm Michael Johnson, a little bit older, but I do have the skill set that Michael Johnson has, I'd rather fight for PFL, bro. <laughs> like yeah. Obey Mercy just won a million dollars to beat Stevie Ray. Like, and I get it, Michael Johnson lost to Stevie Ray, but he was winning that fight. He should have won that. Well, he should have won that fight to the the takedown, of course, of course, classic Michael Johnson. But uh, yeah, I think there's better avenues for a guy like that in the limelight of his career. Even going yep. over to Bellator, lesser competition, decent payday still. Uh, the stuff that he could be doing. So he may be looking at this fight like, you know what? I'm not going to take a whole lot of damage if I lose. I'll just get taken down and humped for 15 minutes. Because Casey's new style, it's a winning style, but it's not a fan-friendly style. Let's no. be real. 
if he loses, whatever, you get taken down. He's got multiple losses on his record. It's what's another one. I totally, I totally get it. But with Johnson, like he is a live underdog simply because he has crazy power and no doubt the guy knows he can't wrestle, but he puts time working into it. First things first, he, we say he can't wrestle, but he's actually like a junior college uh, and NAIA guy. Like he actually wrestled in college. He knows how to wrestle. He just gets taken down these spots. His last two fights against Alan Patrick, he was expected to get taken down. Takedown defense looked good. Physically, he looked good. He drops Patrick in the second round, knocks him out. His fight with Jamie Malarkey, Malarkey goes 0 for 2 in takedown. He looked good there too. If Diakisi shoots and doesn't get it for whatever reason, uh is going to get lit up here because he's not a power guy. He's like a jab, low leg kick, calf kick kind of guy. Stay mm-hmm. to the outside. He's not going to like Johnson's power one bit if he's get forced to exchange with them. So he really needs to get those takedowns. And Johnson's going to be ready for the takedowns. But even if he's ready, I just, you know, the way that is getting down many guys, the way that he's getting multiple takedowns, like you said, nine, ten takedowns per fight, all of that to me leads me to believe that even if Johnson stuffs a few of them, He's going to get taken down eventually. It just kind of always happens. The other last thing that I'll note, and then we can move on, but of course, the pick is Dia Casey, Dia Casey by decision. The last other thing is it's not like it's simply Johnson's bad takedown defense. It's Johnson's bad cardio as well, which mm-hmm. leads to the bad takedown defense. But in his fight with Josh Emmett, he won the first two rounds. He got knocked down in the third when he got gassed. His fight with Stevie Ray, 1-1 going into the third, taken down and controlled in the third. His fight with Thiago Moises, goddamn, that was a masterclass striking performance for the first five minutes. And then Thiago Moises rolled onto an ankle lock and submits him in the second when Johnson makes a mistake. Johnson versus Guida, competitive early. Overall, Johnson outstruck Guida, second and third round. Johnson controlled up against the cage. Johnson got taken down. So, yeah, 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 just the longer you put that grind on him, guys are getting to him. He looked okay against Malarkey. He looked good against Alan Patrick. But, uh, yeah, at some point, if Dia Casey just grabs onto a leg and just holds him up against the cage, holds him up against the mat, Here's a few takedowns, get some control time. Fans boo. Nobody's happy about it. Yeah, I could see Dia Casey getting it done. But last thing, we get out of here. We'll move on to the next one. It's in Florida. Johnson's like a longtime Floridian. You know, he's going to have that hometown crowd. He's going to have that, that you know, friends and family. He is an all-action guy. Florida's not the greatest commission going. No. If one guy just holds on the entire time, and Johnson lands the punches, you could get screwed on a decision. So true. I don't know that I'm putting Dia Casey all the way at the top. I like the prize picks over on takedowns. I like Dia Casey to win the fight. But in parlay purposes, um, you either get an apple pie shitter or the judges are your apple pie shitter. And this is the kind of fight you could get judged on. You could, you get, could the get apple get pie from the judges. Or you could get knocked clean out. Like, that's still <laughs> you could possible. Get Michael Johnson. Michael yeah, Johnson, round one. Fair always. Enough. You may actually, yeah, like... It may be safer to, like, Johnson could, like, Johnson always comes out, has really, really nice round ones, and then everything falls apart. Um, if that <laughs> happens in this fight and Dia Casey's still around, you could get a good spot to, like, jump in as a live bet on Dia Casey, closer to, like, a pick em after round one if he loses that first round by, like, not sticking to the D1 game plan. Um, yeah, the book that I did it at, like, I mean, I have some bets this week that it's like, they're not really available on the market. There was like one book that I have that their numbers just aren't really, uh, on par. For instance, I have an over one and a half at minus one fourteen on the next fight, Jonathan Pierce versus Darren Elkins, which like the over two and a half is like minus one Oh five, which, so yeah, it's like, they're not full unit plays, but 
saw that there was a little bit of meat on the bone. But yeah, let's get into that fight. We got Jonathan Pierce taking on Darren Elkins. Minus 450 Pierce, plus 350 for Darren the damage. I mean, Co, you know me, dog guy. Love, love, lo- love me some uh, underdog betting. Jonathan Pierce did look like career best last time out against Maquan Amirkani. Kind of put him into the pressure cooker. And then, like, once you get into round two with Maquan, Maquan can't really grapple for three rounds um, without completely falling off a cliff. And that's exa- exactly what happened there. But I don't know. Pierce at this type of price tag, he's shown some, like, on a bad night, he can have some, you know, pretty mediocre performances. Like, he's not above getting taken down himself. He's very, very strong in the grappling exchanges when he's down there. The standoff game is completely a work in progress. Darren the Damage has the nickname The Damage because he just takes a hellacious beating. People really struggle to typically go out there and uh, and absolutely just grapple with him. So, um... I mean, I see Darren Elkins by decision out there, plus 800, Cody, and I don't know if I can help myself but to throw a little sprinkle on that. Um, I'll pick Elkins, hesitantly. But, yeah, I'm thinking, like, uh, a little sprinkle. I just think the number's a little bit too wide here. Darren's going to show up. He's going to fight for your money. He may just get controlled the entire way through. Say la vie, but Darren the Damage just signed a new fight contract, so you don't have to worry about him getting his walking papers. I don't know. I think Pierce is a little bit overpriced here at minus 450. Like, I, I don't feel that safe with him just absolutely running through Darren the Damage. What's your thoughts here? Yeah, well, you don't like the price because even though he looked great against Maquan, one fight back against Christian Rodriguez, he damn near loses that fight. Doesn't look good, gasses out, gets hurt, all the things that you wouldn't want to see out of a guy that's now a big favorite. You do kind of see him bodied in that fight. So at Pierce, at his worst, you're right. He's maybe a little bit chinny. His cardio, he's a guy that makes his living on his cardio, and yet, did he show up in bad shape? Did he show up with an injury? Like, why was it off on that night? So some definite question marks. For Jonathan Pierce, when you're looking at this kind of a price tag, but uh, yeah, I sometimes I like to complain about UFC matchmaking. This is a good of good UFC matchmaking to me. This is a passing of the torch. Darren Elkins has done what Darren Elkins has done for a long time. You know, similar to a Clay Guida, they have a similar style, and he's passing it to the next logical guy that fights basically the same way. Jonathan Pierce, same way that a Glyson Tebow, he was the same prototypical model model of a Francisco Trinaldo Masranduba, same prototypical model of a Michelle Prezeris. They're just the same fighter, the exact same fighter. JSP, Jonathan St. Pierce, uh, St. Uh, Jonathan Oof. Pierce, sorry. Yeah, I, he fights very much like a Darren Elkins. Can he take that same damage? Maybe not, but he's willing to thrill the crowd, leave his chin up there, hands low, dig for takedowns, constantly push a pace on you. He doesn't have that same experience of a Darren Elkins, but he's definitely banking up ring time and looking better and better. His wrestling, whereas on paper, it's not an elite level. He's starting to put it to an elite level. He's getting multiple takedowns in all of his fights against good guys, right? For his last time, it's Mac Wanamirakani, a former a former Finnish wrestling standout. He got six against Christian Rodriguez, six against Omar Morales, five against Kai Kamaka, four in his contender series fight against Jacob Rosales, a fellow wrestler. The guy's just got that pace that he puts on you. Elkins was that guy. So Elkins getting older now. The damage across the chest, like you said, he's wearing that damage on his face. 
His chin maybe not as good as it used to be. I feel like he is in the limelight stage of his career, and that next logical, action-packed, all-action guy, grinder, is going to be Pierce, and I feel like this is going to be a, a passing of the torch type moment. For Elkins, UFC's done a good job. I don't, resigning him, great. He's an all-action guy. He's a fan favorite. He's going to get you your money's worth for sure. But it's all about matchmaking. You have to matchmake him accordingly. His last fight scene is Tristan Connolly. Now, I like Tristan Connolly, fellow Canadian, but Tristan Connolly's all the way done. He had a massive neck surgery. Massive neck surgery is not the same guy. If you ask him, he will tell you he is not the same guy. And in fact, his last fight, after Elkins' fight, he fought in his own um, hometown. Well, he fights in BC, his own home province, against a 6-5 and five Xavier Nash and got completely manhandled way worse than that Darren Elkins fight. For Elkins, it was a free win. The UFC gave him a free win, and he won a somewhat competitive decision over Tristan Connolly where he relied on his takedowns. The Derek Minner fight. Derek Minner arguably just threw a fight, is a bum. All of his losses come inside the first round when he doesn't get his... He allegedly threw a fight, but he is a bum. That's not an alleged thing. He, we, we know that. The guy either <laughs> subs true. you That's in the fair. first round. He's got, like, he's got like 30 sub wins. You can't take that away from him. But in all of his fights, when he does not sub you in the first round, he's like, now, is that somebody telling him that? No. The last time, allegedly. Uh, not my business to say. But you beat Derek Minner. Like, bro, okay. The win before that, Eduardo Grigori. Man, he took him to the third round. Seven takedowns are over Grigori, so that's what the UFC has been doing for him. When he takes out fights that are not those ones, like the Cub Swanson fight, Cub destroyed him, knocked him out. It was non-competitive. Elkins is known for his ability to take that damage, his ability to take that room. So the cracks are there, but if you match him up against guys that are on their way out, deserve to be cut, shouldn't be in the UFC to begin with, yeah, Elkins is an excellent gatekeeper. Jonathan Pierce has shown he's not really like gatekeeper. I think he's above that. I think he's a legitimate guy that's going to break into the top 15, continuously get better. He's 29, 30 years old, so like he's coming into the prime of his career. And as much as that Rosales fight, sorry, the Rodriguez fight two fights back, it was worrisome. It was worrisome. First of all, that kid's not bad. And second of all, I think he made up for that in his last performance against Maquan Amirakani, mm. where... He just looked career best. Physically, great shape. Cardio was back on point. His wrestling was very good. He has a problem sticking his head into a chokes. And against Maquan Mirakani, the guy that you do not want to do that against, he was like well above everything, way ahead of everything. Had it scouted out. So no doubt against Elkins, they'll have done their homework. If you want to wrestle this guy, do it. I think you can take him down. If you want to stand with this guy, do it. But but if Elkins pushes one hell of a crazy pace, you got to have your cardio check. you got to be ready to match it. And I just kind of feel like he should be able to. So money line, I'm going to agree with you, dude. I, I don't like it. I really don't. But in terms of a pick, it's got to be Pierce. Pierce's got to get this thing done. That's I mean, a pick, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of like the, the struggle sometimes is like, yeah. Like when we do these shows and like people like keep track of it and all that type of stuff is just like... Yeah, like well, picking, you pick everything. If you're, so picking, you're, if you're picking, it's like, well, of course I would quote unquote pick the minus 450 mm -hmm. but like money doesn't get made by you know by picking that way it's like you're trying to pick where the value is so i mean i'm not gonna be able to help myself i'm gonna end up with darren elkins plus 800 by decision as one of my sprinkles this week um florida commission 
I, I think it's a, a tough ask just to like hold this maniac down for 15 minutes. Like that cardio better hold up. Won't be shocked to see Darren Elkins pull a rabbit out of a hat here, but like technical skill for skill round one, like it's not going to look pretty. Like he's going to very, very likely lose round one. It's whether Pierce can hold on later. The fight goes. All right, moving on down. We got Amanda Hebus taking on Tracy Cortez straight pick him, homie. We got. Yeah, yeah, it's a straight pick. I might get it. I got to go with Tracy Cortez. I'm a wrestling style, you know, I like favorite wrestling styles. And Tracy Cortez seems like not only is she going to have solid uh, wrestling, solid grappling. T looks like she might be one of the better wrestler grapplers in the division. And what we do see at this level oftentimes is that someone like a Carlos Sparza can make it to a world championship level just using that wrestling very little other skills than that wrestling a tatiana suarez can take it to the highest level just with that wrestling it's an extremely effective tool here and i do almost feel like tracy cortez young getting better improving she's dating brian ortega i don't know how much that's going to help or hinder her but at the same time i think it's good to have a significant other that understands fighting and has the same like ambitions of getting to the top um but like dude, her family like all of her brothers wrestled in arizona and there was one hell of a wrestling family she got one brother all american kid end up dying i don't want to i don't want to say a car accident but like end up passing away dude had a win over drew fickett was going to be like the next big thing out of arizona she picked up wrestling seeing her brother die knowing that's his dream she has that strong foundation and i think it's going to be extremely effective as far as her fight so far you've seen her lean on it to uh to varying degrees right uh on the contender series against agapova easy money for takedowns vanessa mello two takedowns stephanie egger three takedowns that one a little more impressive simple fact that egger's big for the weight class judo black belt good grappling so not only do you need to take her down but you need to take her down and avoid stuff like the arm bar which she did extremely effectively now that justine quiche fight that was your first eye opener that like yeah she's still limited like she's green she's a work in progress uh those eyelashes are those real those can't be real paul paul are no, those, those real? real i need a judgment on that one i don't think they're real but uh justin Keish gave her a pretty good smack dropped her in the fight didn't outstrike her got taken down three times close fight i scored it for cortez but i think you saw kind of like the limitations but but not losing winning a split decision in a close fight that i did think she won i think that is a good experience for a young fighter go back to the drawing board fix those corrections fix those mistakes improve and come out as a better version. And then against Melissa Gatto her last time out, again, it wasn't like it's a world-class performance. She was the one giving up more of the takedowns, got taken down three times. But again, it's that offensive wrestling. It's her own offensive grappling, gets her out of those bad spots. To me, what I find is that when you get her moving up backwards, that's where she's going to be limited. She offensively come forward. If she gets you backing up, she shoots the takedown. She's comfortable. She's not very comfortable off the back foot. She's not very comfortable getting hit. So... That's what Amanda Hebus has to do. She needs to pressure her backwards. She needs to land those strikes. She needs to cause her to question herself. To me, though, it comes down to, you know, will will Tracy Cortez back her up and get the takedowns? If she does get the takedowns, can she make them work for her? If it just stays standing, is Hebus even really all that good of a striker? Like, there's so many question marks here that, uh, yeah, I'm kind of going back and forth. I kind of got it, like, as a dogger pass. I want to take Tracy Cortez. Hebus has obviously got that that higher level experience. I feel like her wrestling is solid. Her grappling defense is solid. The one thing that's not solid here, Paul, when you look at it, uh, well, I guess, okay, even though she had the three takedowns over Caitlin Chukagian, she was getting unstruck handedly standing. Against Verna Jandaroba, Jandaroba nailed her with a bunch of shots standing. 
against Marina Rodriguez, Rodriguez got taken on the first round controlled and then sparked her in the second round when she was able to keep her standing. Hebus, almost all of her fights are won in the clinch or getting the fight to the ground. So Tracy, she's the same way. So the question for me is if Hebus does not get this fight to the ground, which is possible, just it, it just, you know, is stalemated in the grappling department and you get a striking battle. And can she strike for 15 minutes standing? Will she land the numbers? Will she get hurt? Like, I'm totally like, you know, on the fence about it. So I think for right now, gun to my head, I am going to lean towards Hebus. But yeah, dude, it's a 15 fight card. Like, do you need to bet every single fight? No. Could you pass on a couple of these fights? Sure. The fights that do look like passes, Nico Price, Phil Rowe. I don't really care about that one. Mm, this one, certainly. You can make an argument for like a Nikolau versus Schnell because of the money line. There's a couple fights that I just don't really have much of an interest in. This one is that. Price accordingly. Competitive fight. I want to take Tracy Cortez, but I feel like I'm wrong on that Tracy Cortez selection. I feel like she doesn't have the experience. She needs to take that loss. She needs to go back to the drawing board. And Brian Ortega, as much as it's cool dating him, like uh, people that know him don't really see him ever have anything good to say about the guy. So... I don't know, is this, this is going to hinder your performance or help your performance? Like, who knows? Are you still in Arizona or are you hanging out in California? Like, all these things are just great question marks. My official pick will be Amanda Hebus, but just literally on the money side of things, looking to pass. But yeah, of course, it will be on the PRP ticket. So there will be some type of financial investment in Hebus winning, just not a whole lot of one. I'm picking Hebus. I think she has a lot more pass to victory here. I mean, I don't really think she's going to snatch up a sub, but that's not completely out of the realm of possibilities. I think she's a better striker, more dynamic striker on the feet. Cardio edge probably goes to Cortez. And the problem with Cortez is, like, I think she needs to win a 15-minute boring decision where she just lays on top and just avoids submission attempts um, coming back the other way from Hebus. Whereas I feel I feel like uh, Hebus is a much more dynamic striker. We saw her in there with one of the division's elite at 125 pounds and Caitlin Chukagian and, like, that was a razor, razor close decision when it came down to it. Some people scored it for Amanda Hebus. She had three takedowns over Shukagian. My biggest concern, though, is like she used to, you know, Hebus used to fight at 115. Um, uh, Tracy Cortez has a big old dump truck in the in the back, and like she can, she used to fight at 130 or 135. She was obviously undersized at 135, but like she can take people down and should have a bit of a weight advantage, I imagine, on fight night hold Hebus in those positions and if Hebus is laying off of her back she's not going to be winning rounds another fight yeah I'm not going to really force a bet on this one we'll see what happens at weigh-ins this week but Hebus is the pick for me as well we got Natan Levy taking on Gennaro Valdez Natan Levy a minus 185 favor Valdez can be had for plus 160 Cody your thoughts yeah, so Natan Levy on paper is like a karate black belt. I think he just it punches Valdez in the head and knocks him out because Valdez does not seem to move his head and cannot take a shot. But uh, realistically, it's like Natan Levy doesn't even use his striking. He's looking to get takedowns, lots of takedowns. He's out of extreme couture, uh, syndicate MMA, spending a lot of time in Las Vegas. He's making improvements, and I feel like he's going to win this fight, not by getting the knockout, but by probably leaning on his, his grappling and going 
heavy to the well. Gennardo Valdez, people may remember him if they're con- uh, contender series aficionados because he was like a 10 to 1 favorite. Everybody had him. Simple fact that he was supposed to just walk through this Patrick White guy. And uh, Patrick White. It was a White, blood and guts Daniel war. I remember that eyes. one. Oh my God, dude. Dude, you have no idea. He's 10 to 1. It shouldn't be this much of a sweat. And he's stewing the stanky leg. He's getting nailed with everything that hits him is rocking him. He doesn't go down. He fights through it. He kept getting takedowns over Patrick White, who's from Alaska, for the record, like couldn't wrestle at all. So the takedowns bailed him out. But his defense is shaky. His chin is shaky. Those are all massive problems. So they give him Matt Frivola, the steamroller. And Matt Frivola is a guy that's considered a little bit chinny himself, but like way more trustworthy. Guy's kind of been in there with top flight competition and not really known as some dynamic striker, but it was the, almost the same thing as the Patrick White fight. Like, everything that he threw nailed Geraldo Valdez flush and dropped him. He hit him with 60 significant strikes in one round. He scored four knockdowns in one round. It's like, dude, this is massive cause for concern. So, if you're Valdez, do you go to the gym and make some massive improvements? How do you even make those improvements? I need to I need to focus more on boxing. 100% need to focus more on boxing and kickboxing. But at the same time, like, I don't recommend you spar being the fact that you're getting hit this hard, you're getting hurt this hard. We got to save that longevity. He's just he's always going to be a problem in that in that regard. Now, Natan Levy again, he's got the karate I think he could knock him out if he just threw straight and landed. I just don't know that he's going to throw straight and land. I think he's going to pursue those takedowns. What I do like about Natan Levy is that he's had two fights that were really grinding out type fights. His two fights back with Rafa Garcia. He outstruck Rafa Garcia 47 to 35 and got three takedowns. He gave up seven takedowns. But if you watch that fight, it's Scramble City, man. They're going back and forth. He doesn't look terrible. He does lose the fight. Rafa Garcia, not terrible. His last fight against Mike Breeden. Breeden, not supposed to be much. Breeding got three takedowns, but he got nine takedowns. It's Scramble City, lots of takedowns, high action pace. He got outstruck 104 to 92, but ends up getting the decision. So he's not a he's not a he's not gonna wow you. He's not a you know a top talent. He's not someone that's gonna break into the rankings anytime soon. But we know that he can wrestle, we know that he can go 15 minutes, we know he can land some strikes. With Valdez against White, maybe maybe it's because he's hurt. He looks gas. I think it's for Vola, maybe it's because he's hurt, probably because he's hurt. He's gas. I don't know that this guy's going to go a hard 15. So either Levy catches him with something early or Levy just takes him down, breaks his will, tires him out, ground and pounds him out. I feel like Natan Levy gets the job done. Now, the inside the distance interesting to me. The chin is the problem. So you're going to probably want to go TKO. But Levy likes to get the fight to the ground and hunt for arm triangle choke. So he's probably going to look for a head and arm once the fight hits the mat and try to submit him. Maybe just take Levy inside the distance. Valdez's style does not look like the st- kind of style that's made for a 15-minute fighting. Yeah, full agreement here. Uh, the one thing I will say is on prize picks, uh, fantasy score for Natan Levy, 82.5. I mean, six. it's six points for a takedown. So if he gets, if he mixes in, like it, if this goes to decision and he fights like how he's been fighting, like he may not necessarily get nine takedowns. They don't have a takedown price listed for him, unfortunately, because that would probably be the preferred option. But uh yeah, as long as he doesn't get knocked out, if he pursues takedowns like he has in his other UFC fights, like he should clear 82 and a half pretty easily uh, in this spot. Even if it's just like, you know, the volume, 92 significant strikes um, last time out against Mike Breeden. Like that's that guy. I, I, I don't know off the top. I mean, the nine takedowns would be 
Nine times six, 54 points right there. Then you have significant strikes plus the decision win. Like, he must have scored like 120, 130 on prize picks with that. So 82 and a half if he's going to get this victory. He can finish it early and we, we get there as well. Um, that seems like a decent little angle. I'm going to pick Natan Levy. Don't know if I'm going to get to his money line at minus 185. I think that's capped about right. All right, we got Francis Marshall taking on Marcelo Royo. If you are from New Jersey, you can sit this one out because... Royo is uh, training with the James Krause, and none of his fighters are able to be bet on in the great state of New Jersey anymore. So hit the time codes, and you can move on to the next fight if you are from New Jersey. I'm half kidding. Um, that's actually a real thing these days. Is anybody else from Krause's gym on this card? Because I think that's I think it's just Royo this week. It's going to be very, very interesting when Moreno fights in like a title fight, and people in New Jersey can't bet on it. Well, who knows if it comes down to that. Like, I'm sure by that point, it'll be like, oh, I don't know. They'll have to monitor it. This one would be interesting if you could. Well, other states can. And like if Royo gets rolled up, which is entirely possible, people are going to talk, even if the guy did nothing wrong, which I don't think he's going to do anything wrong. Even if Krauss did nothing wrong, which he may have in the past, but I don't think he's looking to do anything here. People will automatically oh, speculate sure. if this guy loses that it's a work. And the fight don't look too good for him. Listen, he's a banger. Dude is a bang when he debuted against charles jordan he's up away class at 55 and uh he stung jordan bad in the first two rounds the guy throws heavy heavy heat he's almost like a guido canetti he'll throw what he's got for those first two rounds south american guy tough as nails heavy power one-dimensional in the third round that fights one one versus charles jordan going in the third round in the third round his cardio lets him up man he gasses out he gets dropped twice in the third knocked out in the third damn really entertaining I think it might have been fight of the night. If not, it should have gotten a 50,000 bonus. But great fight, but his cardio lets him down the third. Now, that's at 55 on short notice. So comes down to 145 against Kyler Phillips. That's going to be a better weight class for him. He's going to be a lot bigger. Hopefully, if he can keep uh, Phillips standing, you've seen Kyler Phillips gassed out in the past. As a result, Phillips got three takedowns, and it, like he went three for eight. So it wasn't like he got takedowns just whenever he wanted them. But when he did get them, yeah, Rojo's game is pretty limited off of his back. And then, of course, in the third round, he tires out and he gets finished again. So I've got some uh, questions about his cardio. I've got his questions about durability once he tires out. And, of course, those three takedowns against Kyler Phillips, they're bad news. This Francis Marshall kid, one thing about him is that, like, he's super green. Mm -hmm. He's undefeated as an amateur, undefeated as a pro. But, like, he doesn't have a whole lot of experience. He hasn't fought in anybody good. He hasn't fought in anybody like Rojo. He hasn't been hit. And he certainly hasn't been hit by anybody like Rojo. So, yeah, could he be one of those young kids? Kids, what, yeah, 1999? Like, he's young, man. This kid is young. We see it all the time, Paul. Young, good-looking, undefeated prospect, little young, little green, wins on the contender series maybe, jumps into the UFC, bites off a little too much a little too soon. Even though Rojo's lost his last fight, he's, he's proven, he's durable, he's experienced, he's got big power. It's not necessarily the best matchup going, but... When you look at the actual like style, if you're going to do your, your film study on it, yeah, it looks like it should be Francis Marshall pretty handedly here. The kid's got a great gas tank, and the kid's a solid wrestler. So speaking of uh, you're going to be extra pissed off if you're, you're from New Jersey because I'm pretty sure Francis Marshall's from New Jersey. Pellegrino MMA guy, uh, solid, again, solid fu uh, fundamentals. You saw him in the Contender Series against <clears throat> Connor Matthews. Six takedowns, 110 significant strikes landed, clean work against a lower-level guy. Against Rojo, if you don't get him to the ground, there's going to be some problems for you. 
thing is, based on the Kyler Phillips fight, based on some other fights, he plants his feet extremely heavy and he throws a little wild and loopy. You, there's going to be openings to take him down. If you do take him down, his get-up game's not great and his cardio's not great. And the way that this kid fights, Francis Marshall, it's taxing on the cardio. It's going to tire you out. So this thing's 1-1 going into the third. I'm feeling good about it. If it's 0-2 going into the third, I can still get a third-round finish. Um, and if it's 2-0 going into the third, I just don't think he mounts that big comeback. So the main thing is don't get caught in those first two rounds and get knocked out. Beyond that, stretch him, push it get the job done. But the money line's a little bit wide considering I do respect Rojo. And in Krause's case, like as much speculation is going on, like the guy is known for putting together good game plans. And the vast majority of the guys that come out of his gym are grapplers. So if he can get this kid to stuff a few takedowns and land some shots, he'll be live. He'll be in it. But I got to go with that, that chain wrestling style, that smothering grappling wrestling style. Love it. I feel like Francis is going to do it. I feel like the kid going to have a bright future because he's still very young and uh, get the job done. So sign me up. Yeah, I can see him winning, but like I don't know. I went back and watched that Connor the, the Matthews fight, and I didn't really love his entries to his takedowns. His pace is very smothering, like very. It's like pressure based all the way through. And the other thing that was like a little, like made me a little bit worried about you know betting him as a favorite in this fight is like I, his stand-up game seemed very very limited like it doesn't really look like he throws hooks mm. it's basically it's one two one two and charging forward every single uh every single time didn't really see like a full well like he doesn't need it yet he's he's been able to be undefeated to get to this point based on you know pressure gas tank and you know marching people down We'll see. It's a little bit interesting. I'm not going to be betting uh, Arroyo. I did take, I found a, a minus 143 to the over one and a half. Um, Arroyo, even against like Kyler Phillips, got to round three. So I feel like over one and a half, I feel pretty decent about. I could see Arroyo falling off of a cliff in round three, as he has done in like his previous two fights. That's not completely out of the realm of possibility. I'll pick Marshall with you, but like I'm very, very... I, I'm I'm kind of like a prove it to me at this level before I actually put like real hard earned dollars on this kid. I I think the potential is there, the upside is there. I just uh, you know first fight and he's a favorite. I don't know he, he could yeah, that's fair. he could be tested out there. Um, I wasn't so impressed with his wrestling. Like I know he's got two and a half takedowns. He should clear that on prize picks, but like I'm a little bit hesitant because. Um, I wasn't. I didn't love the technique that he that he displayed in that fight on Contender Series. Like it just seemed like he was just like bullying the other guy around more so than like setting up really really nice entries and stuff. Here's a greasy theory, greasiest of the greasy theories, right? They often say hide in plain sight. So if you're James Crows, the smartest thing to do while everybody's speculation of fix is to fix one right under their noses. <laughs> now, what do we know about Allegedly. Rojo? He's lost his last two fights. <laughs> allegedly. Did I not say that? Mm-hmm. The best way to allegedly work one right under their alleged noses is to work one, allegedly, mm-hmm. right on Saturday. Allegedly. So, so what do we know about Rojo? Rojo loses the Charles Jordan fight in the third round. Tired out, finishing third. What do we know about a good Kyler Phillips? Tired out, got finished in the third round. What do you know about this Francis Marshall kid? This kid got a hell of a pace on, you know? Maybe don't finish you in the first two rounds, but you're going to keep going for it in the third. What's the Francis Marshall in round number three, which we know is possible, Rohit? 
only book that has it and they always like they always they never they never give you they never (laughs) they never give you the best part of the you know they they don't they're not very generous with their props it's eight it's only eight to one but like more places will you'll get a 10 to one on that somewhere somewhere else will open that up at 10 to one this book always they open them up first so they're like we don't want to be got and i i completely understand that um, that's not a bad angle. I could totally see Marshall just like wearing Marcel Arroyo down and, and finding the finish in round three. The one thing that Marshall does seem to have going for him is pressure, pace, and cardio. Um, that's how he won his fight on Contender Series. And that's what he's going to have to lean on in this fight against Marcelo Arroyo. Uh, finally. Yeah, we, and then, oh, yeah, sorry. I was going to say, thing. and then we'll, we'll, yeah, sorry. And then we'll move on. But yeah, no, it, it's honestly, it's called, um, it's called Andrew Sanchez effect, right? So Andrew Sanchez as hardcores will know can't fight a third round he just gets like dusted in the third round pretty much all the time right so uh it's like oh okay how many times have you been finished in the third round oh dude anthony smith rally being down two finish him in the third ryan james rally being down two finishes him in the third okay then they give you an outrageous price tag on mcmurad muradov and by third third round finish 10 to 1 and mcmuradov knocks him out in the third round then he comes back against bruno silva okay and once you know it, they give you another 10 to 1. And he got knocked out in the third round. The fourth time in the UFC he'd been finished in the third round. Andrew Sanchez, my boy, he's not throwing fights. Simple fact is he can't fight. Can't fight a third round. So every time he fights, it's worth a little flyer, man, because it's a possibility. Rojo, possibility. Also, if you want to allegedly fix something, you hit an 8 to 1, 10 to 1, third round. He does it all the time. You could do worse. You could, you could allegedly do worse. Let's move on. You could definitely allegedly do worse than 8-1. to one. Uh, But I think you'll probably get a 10-1 to one on that uh, allegedly possible type of uh, scenario that uh, could potentially happen, allegedly. All right, finally, we got uh, Yasmin Wariki taking on Estela Nunez. Minus 300 Wariki, plus 250 for Nunez. Uh, or you can super, super young, 23. Everyone was, you know, big fan off of the, uh, Lucindo fight in the summer there. Stand, stand up looks definitely on point for her. She looks like she's got a boatload of potential. Estella Nunez on the other side, another stand up striker. I mean, round one against Sam Hughes was pretty solid by her. Mm. Cardio didn't really hold up. And then, I mean, round two, watching that fight back, it's like... I kind of still thought it was one of those classic scenarios where Sam Hughes gets a takedown right at the end of the round, like with like 19 seconds left or something like that. And, and that's the last, that's the last imprint in the judge's minds. So she ends up getting the decision there, but it was like, it was a majority decision that they had it listed as. Um, And then round three, Sam Hughes, absolutely dominator. Uh, big problem at women's straw weight if you don't have 15 minutes of cardio. I think this could be relatively competitive early in the fight between the two of them on the feet. Um, I think Yasmin's got a higher ceiling, of course, but um, does Yasmin have any sort of grappling game? That's the real question because, like, that seems to be the clear-cut path to victory against Estela Nunez. Is like you can take this girl down over and over and over and over. Her grappling is definitely a work in progress. I know Wariki is more of like a stand-up banger. Um, can she mix in some takedowns to uh, 
to make this an even better advantage for her because I really don't see much from Estella Nunes on the mat. Like she seems pretty, she seems kind of like a lame duck if the fight does get taken down there. Minus 300 is a big price tag to pay. I don't know what to do. I'm going to be picking Wariki. I'm just uh, kind of puzzled about how I how I approach this matchup. Would Wariki be able to find a finish here, or is it going to be Wariki by decision, which I imagine is probably like in the minus numbers. Wariki by decision is is yeah minus one fifteen at one place, plus one hundred five at another. Um, I suppose that's the route I would go. I don't know if I'm going to bet that though. Uh, so Wariki for me, what about you? Yeah, this is, you know, another one that I'm going to classify as more of a pass. I'm going to go with Wariki. The money line is just, just way blown out. So again, another fighter, 23 years old, born in 1999, the next generation of the sport. But yeah, you're making your UFC debut in front of a, a big live crowd, um, against a girl that's extremely talented, just has cardio issues. If you don't mix in the wrestling and you just make this a striking battle, I'm not saying you can't win based on volume, but it's going to be competitive. It'll be very competitive. And at three to one on the money line, I just don't agree with it. Pat Mayo has made a big old, you know, big old profit on betting the plus money side of fights like this. And I don't know that he's completely (laughs) wrong. With Estella Nunes, it's cardio. I don't know how much of it is the grappling. Surely the takedowns are what's losing her in the fights, but it's the she gets tired. Fired and then she's getting taken down. And now she fights a pretty hectic pace. Maybe got a 10-8 first round in that last fight against Sam Hughes, but she can't sustain it. That's her biggest issue. Her debut against Carnalosi, she starts off well, gets tired. The takedowns are there, no doubt, but it is the cardio. The last fight with Sam Hughes, the first round she dominates. Paul, she dominates the fight to the tune of she outlanded her 40 to 15 in the mm-hmm. first round. Might have been a 10-8 round. Domination. The second round, she does have striker, 37 to 31. Like you said, the takedown at the end of it steals it for Hughes, which makes it a 1-1 going into the third. Yada, 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 she loses the third. But in the third, she's just so gassed out. Mm -hmm. The takedown comes easy. No ability to get up. Again, it's cardio. So my only question in this this spot is uh, with Yasmin. Yasmin throws a ton. You saw in her debut, I mean, she only landed 86 significant strikes, but... She throws like 220 every round. It's high output. I don't want to liken her to the Caitlin Chikagans of the world or the Mino Fiorovas of the world. She doesn't fight like that. But a lot of it is missing. But throwing. She throw a lot. I think Estella Nunes is a better striker. She's going to counter her. She's got more power. She'll sit down on her shots. But I don't worry that the longer this thing drags out, the volume, the pace, the speed will start to go towards Yasmin. So the best thing that I can offer you up here, official pick, have to make a pick, Tempted to say dog money on Nunez. Very tempted. However, I got enough underdogs of this card as it is. Not trying to force anything. So I will take Yasmin. But what I can offer up is live bet this thing. Because Estella Nunez is a problem in the first round. This thing's 3-1 to one right now. It'll be even money after she drops the first round. Nunez is an excellent counterpuncher. Has good cardio. What we're all banking on is that she's going to gas out. So let her win the first round. Get a much better line. And then hope she gasses out in the second and the third as you're anticipating. She doesn't gas out. Well, she could win the first two rounds, hold on to the third and get the decision. She's going to be live in that spot. So I'm definitely going to chalk up Estella Nunes as a live underdog. Just one of them that I'm not going to go ahead and pull the trigger on. All right. That about wraps it up for us, Cody, this week. But before we go, as people are wont to do, as people show up to this program every single week, hit them with the PRP. Hitting with the PRP. Starting from the top to bottom, we're going to go with uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, dog number one. Rafael Dos Anjos, Matus Nicolau, 
Ty Tuivasa, dog number two. Jack Hermanson, Kyle Dokus, Philip Rowe for right now could switch on that, but I am going to take Philip Rowe for right now. That's dog number three. Angela Hill would be dog number four. Scott Holtzman, Mark Casey, Jonathan Pierce, Amanda Rebus could change that pick too, but that's an even money pick. Uh, we're going to go with uh, Natan Levy, Francis Marshall, and Yasmin Yerigui. So I think we got 15 fights, four underdogs. You could easily pass on a few of these. And the main thing is, is that our core wins. And obviously the core, I don't know who I'm locking in at this point, but I would feel like, uh, sorry, where is he? Yeah, Rafael Sanyos, he's definitely going to be a top piece. You could put Steven Wonderboy Thompson at the top because he's plus money and it's going to give you a fake price that you could hedge out of at the end, but that's not how I hedge. I'd rather have the favorite and hedge the other side, and I don't really want to put Kevin Hall on my top ticket this week, so I'm probably not going to do my, my usual strategy, but that strategy would be live if you want to use it. Who's that number two and three guy? That's the question. Mintu Nikolau, 400, but I don't like him. Ty's a crazy heavyweight fight. Jack Romanson, minus 185. That's, he's going to be higher up this week. Uh, RDA. Casey should be Hermanson. Yeah, fairly higher up. I want to go with Pierce. Paul's giving me a little bit of pushback on that one. So definitely work a second look. And then you got a lot of these 50, 50, 500 type guys. So props will be good this week. Prize picks looks good this week. Mm-hmm. A parlays, I'm expecting to hit hopefully at least three lines of it. But yeah, there's so many fights. There's a lot of these iffy, greasy ones. I've got at least four underdogs coming through on 15 fights. That's that's nearly one third of the card being underdog plays. Yeah, man. You know, do you feel great about it? No, but this is the situation we're in every single week. So again, you've got lots to choose from. Don't have to overextend yourself. And then hopefully after weigh-ins, we'll be able to lock in, have a better idea, and then make Saturday nice and good. All right. So and quickly, just before we go, the prize pick stuff that over the course of the show that I have added. Um, I mean, there's certain ones that are I have a little bit more than others, but uh, DKC more than 2.5 takedowns. Uh, Jack Hermanson, more than 56.5 significant strikes. Natan Levy, more than 82.5 on the fantasy score. Um, Rafael Dos Anjos, uh, more than 2.5 takedowns. Sergey Pavlovich versus Tai Tuivasa, less than five minutes of fighting. Those are the ones that really jump off the page. Um, I don't mind the Holland versus Wonderboy Thompson, less than 20 minutes. Don't love it, but like it's it's work it in. Wariki more than two takedowns. I don't know if she can actually get takedowns, but she's taking on Estella Nunez. So if things get a little bit dicey, that could be a, a, an easy little path to it. Like these are ones that I'm like sprinkling on, but like the real the ones I really like are like Dia Casey more than two point five takedowns. I'm gonna keep going back to the well until that guy shows me that he doesn't. Hermanson more than fifty six point five significant strikes. Love that one. RDA more than two point five takedowns. So like that's kind of like my core, and then I sprinkle the other ones in, and hopefully we come out as a big winner. But that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show, for producer Megan. And Cody Saptic, I'm Paul Shaughnessy, saying goodbye and good luck. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.